Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm Ben Mandelker, and this is episode 170, and I'm here today with two luminaries in the world of board games. It's Mr. Trey Alsup and Mr. Dimitri Portnoy. Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Ben. Hello, everyone. Oh, hi. Hi. thought you were going to say curmudgeons. No, well, you know... What, they're not mutually exclusive. Okay. One can be both a curmudgeon and a luminary. In well, fact, I, I, think, I try. I think the Venn diagram on that's usually pretty strong. Yeah. Right? Did you say Venn diagram? The because ben, I'd like to know about the Venn diagram. The Venn diagram. The Venn diagram. Uh, this is what the Venn diagram is. The Venn di- diagram is slowly coming to life. I'm like just waking up. I feel like I'm just waking. I've been up for a few hours, but I feel like mentally I'm just waking up. And the Ben diagram is a diagram of my eyelids and my brain whirring to life very slowly over the course of this podcast. That's what I believe it is. I can relate to that. Yeah. It, it's uh, to set the scene here. It's um, kind of a overcast. It's been a rainy 12 it's, hours, which is rare in LA. So like this is actual weather. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the weather. Like when you actually have weather in Los Angeles, it, it feels like a real change of pace. That said, this is absolutely my favorite time of the year. Same. Because it's raining in LA. It's raining. The light's beautiful. It's cool. It feels like seasons. It's a wonderful time to be outside. Yeah. It's a great time to play Weather Machine. Am I right? (laughs) It's a perfect time for board games. (laughs) Actually, it is the perfect time for board games, right? Like, could there be anything more fun when it's just like raining outside? You have some friends together and you're playing a board game together? Especially with cake. Especially with cake, of which I have none to offer you guys today. Um, you had caramels and breakfast sandwiches. Uh, yeah, well, I had no. I, I did not offer breakfast sandwiches. I just talked about breakfast sandwiches, but I did offer caramels. We should uh, talk about breakfast sandwiches for like twenty minutes. I was thinking that. <laughs> Do you like turkey in your breakfast sandwiches? <laughs> you know, um, I did not realize that we talked for twenty minutes about turkeys. I guess I was. I was a bad host. I was a bad, <laughs> bad host. There were comments. There were some. We you know most. Of, there were not too many negative comments. I think, I don't know, maybe because people, um, I don't know, maybe at that at, around Thanksgiving, people are used to talking about turkey. I don't know. But um, but that was a that was a, a mild failure of, um, of hosting. Discipline. 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 Matt Discipline. number one <laughs> certainly <laughs> said, you, is this a turkey podcast? <laughs> Matt Robinson. I feel like we set Matt the precedent, though, with the roast chicken discussion so well i feel like i feel like um when we had a uh, some negative pushback about roast chicken i f- i feel like tom was kind of like oh they didn't like our roast chicken well we're gonna go in hard on turkey now that, you that know and i was thing to do. i sure. was weak i was weak <laughs> you, you i allowed I, it to happen i was having so much fun talking about it that i didn't realize 20 minutes had gone by and i was a bad producer afterwards that i didn't go back and cut it so anyway now you guys all get 20 minutes about the 20 minutes of turkey so that's the best part you know what season it is ben the season of giving essence season essence season wow see that's good tell me about essence season trey no it just feels like it's a it's a it's a really fun time every year where the games have kind of like finally arriving that, yes. we've been, that we've been teased about for months, and suddenly we have a glut of games that are new that we want to play in the next two months, especially yeah. because people are starting to talk about game of the year and that type of thing. But it's also like we just have this richness of games flowing in, and uh, it feels almost decadent. And it sadly also means that like those games that you and I have been saying like we really need to play, yeah, pandemic, rising tide, rising tide, which were we've I felt for a moment last night we were living that game. 
<laughs> for a moment. <laughs> but like that's going to get pushed to like March now. Right. Well, I, feel I mean, like... I feel like Roll will find ways to play it. I mean, the holidays are coming up. There's a lot of downtime. I think we, yes, we're going to play a bunch of these Essen games a lot, but we've already been playing them actually quite a bit. We're actually very fortunate that we've been playing some of these Essen games That's right. as early as like Essen. <laughs> like, you know, like we've, I mean, we're very fortunate. We have, we have people like Candace in our group um, who, you know, right. she, she has, she actually went to Essen and she came back with games um, you know, because we, there's just, we have access to these games more. Jennifer easily. had her Essen day she, weekend last week that a number of us attended. So with, did a bunch of games. both of you guys go or just you, Trey? I was in New York. Oh, that's right. Of course. No, I think we were represent. The podcast was represented by myself, Paul and Elder. Okay. And how, and did, how was it? What did you play? I think it was a, it was a success. It was a, it was a full, it was a full rec room. Okay. At her community center or at the, uh, the, the community room of her, of her HOA. But in case, a number of people there, a bunch of games, uh, good time was had. Uh, I got in plays of Lacrimosa, which I think Dimitri used. Dimitri talked about that. Yeah, yeah. which I liked of. a lot, but it, it's kind of a game made deliberately for me. Right. Because it's about Mozart and about picking over. The corpse, the corpus of his works, uh-huh. um, and, and it, it, it's uh, just makes me feel like I'm in Amadeus. Uh, I, I like to role play um, uh-huh. the 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 emperor yes. sometimes, even uh, okay. on this podcast. Actually, okay. <laughs> Dimitri's been yawning this entire time. Yeah. So, uh, but what did you think of it? I had a great time. I with, I really like liked Rosa. it. It it also helped to identify like. Maybe that I there are certain kind of games that I am going to like better than others, and of one of the things that I think is consistent is actually that game has a heavy sequencing component. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we'll talk about with Audubon, maybe too. But like typically, you're not just like making like the best move that's correct for you right now. Oftentimes, you're like, I need to do A before I can do B, so that I can really do C. That's always fun, and that. Very much felt like that game for me. Um, in that game, you're you're a composer, and kind of like every turn, you're either performing music, you're writing the symphony, or you're traveling. And the and there's kind of like resources that yeah, that researching you manuscripts. And if you perform a manuscript, you get a, a a big benefit right away. But you also have the opportunity to hold off. Uh, and and, and you try sell to sell your works. Yeah, have a synergy and and have a bigger payoff later. Oh, I had a great time. Okay, uh, I I really liked it. I thought it was beautiful, and uh, maybe the the interesting quick takeaway is like I was loving it. I th- I thought this was like a, a wonderful expression of the theme uh-huh. and like the idea in terms theme. of how how it worked, and then. Another person came over as a game designer of some sort that I didn't really know, and he said, "I really liked this game, but I thought the theme was really pasted on." And I'm just, oh, I completely disagree. Yeah, with I, that. I did too. But uh, and I'm glad that you liked it because uh, when I played it, I thought, "Do I really like this only because of the theme?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I thought the mechanisms were fine. I I, I won that play. Uh, uh, but I, I was having so much fun. I wasn't even thinking uh, of like trying to win i was just trying to 
uh, do what the game was asking me to do. Got um, it. You, you know, kind of role play that game. Uh, so the fact that you like it, Trey, uh, really confirms for me that that you, you have a much more analytical view. Uh, and, and you can discern the mechanisms um, <laughs> better. So that that's a stamp of approval that, that means a lot to me. Do we know? It should mean a lot to the people listening. So I um, Board Game Geek is actually down right now. This is shocking. What? This is news. So I can't actually pull up the details about this game. But do you remember offhand... Um, who designed it, or if they've done these, stuff before? These are Italians, right? Is it, it didn't it didn't Lacrimos appear on Matt's Italian designer Venn diagram of all the overlapping designers? I don't type of thing. Oh, it's we, from Devere Games. I, I did discuss Lacrimosa uh, on a previous episode. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it it was mentioned. The designers were mentioned back then the the designers but they these they are um italian but i don't think they are of the italians no they're not the italians gerard essensi ferran renalius yeah um i think i love i love when games uh do use themes that are um not commonly seen in the world of board gaming i think the world of classical music is really awesome um it told a good story in, yeah, in a, in a sense, and I think again, kind of like throwing it to a preview of our discussion of Autobahn. It Which, had, by the way, we are going to go deep on Autobahn today. That's, that's the plan to go, go deep on Autobahn. But um, I think Ben, you and I both share uh, a fascination with city builders. Yes, but I think part of the reason that I have a fa- fascination with city builders is the idea of the like common board that we're all manipulating and constantly changing and, that and coming this, to life, and that this this thing that we're interacting acting with is this common like it's not just our own player board right doing our own engine thing like there is a common board where like when you make a change that affects me and how i go forward and i felt like this is the strength of autobahn and kind of like autobahn there's in lacrimosa there's almost like two different realms in mm-hmm. which there's almost like a map state or a board state because you're competing to contribute to the lacrimosa the yeah you're contributing to the requiem and yeah. like an Autobahn, and it's interesting, I thought of Autobahn as well just now. Uh, the Requiem is in five parts. Okay. Uh, and which part of the Requiem uh, you're, you're working on at that moment has huge ramifications, just like an Autobahn, which highway mm-hmm. or, or which Autobahn you're working on has a lot of different ramifications. Right. Uh, it's it's interesting that two completely different games have, for me, that that similarity. Why do you think someone would think that the theme is pasted onto this? Does is, do you think do you think maybe for some people they don't connect with the theme as much, so therefore that the you know it doesn't, doesn't I, come to I, life I for them? I would only be speculating because yeah. I, I I feel the way Dimitri did, whereas I, I thought this was a beautiful expression of like if you were going to make a game about this subject, mm-hmm. like how would how would you? What mechanisms would you come right. up? What would they be representing? And so, like composing, performing, traveling—that all seems very or- organic. I, I yeah, think the theme, theme so itself know. is a little mm-hmm. abstruse. It, it's not quite composing. It's not quite uh, researching. It, you, you're kind of trying to put together, finish Mozart's Requiem, and at the same time compile a library of his works and perform mm-hmm. his works. Uh, for me, it's 
very intuitive because again i uh, i like classical music and and everything that it talks about is like things i've read about and, right and like so it's I guess, familiar i guess that i mean i guess that just all gets into a much deeper conversation about really what is theme like one of my one of the gaming right. podcasts i listen to all the time which i mentioned before is blue peg pink peg mm-hmm. and jeremy who is a former member host of that show would always talk about theme versus setting is it a theme is it a setting which uh, i always think about that i mean it's not something that i really apply too much to what how i feel about a game like well this is only a setting not a theme but i do sometimes wonder like um you know is it you know what is that line between a setting and a theme and i i kind of feel like is a setting just like it takes place in those places and the theme is where you actually not only does it take place in a certain time and, and space but that you actually feel like you're participating in that world and it sounds like you guys are felt a little bit the latter with this game yeah can, can i jump in and say something about to let them Oh yeah, sure. a, a really terrific game that was discussed a lot. Uh, Matt said uh, last game night that it, he would play it anytime. Uh, it's his game of the year. I, I think it's a terrific game with a yes. very interesting dice mechanism, uh, and, and it's extremely polished and smooth. It, yes. it, it is a masterwork. Uh, it is a great masterwork by the Italian designers. It is a great masterwork of of, of Euro of Euro uh, strategic game. However, uh, even though I love playing it and I enjoyed my place of it, it doesn't make me feel like a medieval merchant. Right. Not at all. <laughs> right. Right. What are you actually doing in that game? It's hard yeah, to actually. I, I'm actually manipulating things. Yeah, and Dyson. I, the, the manipulation of the things is so fun uh, and smooth and polished and interesting that I don't mind. Right. But versus Lacrimosa. Uh, which which is closer to uh, a, a game like The Gallerist, mm-hmm. where, where I actually feel, I know it's an illusion, I know it's a fiction, but it does convince me that I'm actually doing what the game is about, right. that I'm actually in The Gallerist trading art, uh, I'm actually in terraforming Mars, uh, making Mars habitable, right. and in Lacrimosa, I'm actually involved in, in Mozart's uh, legacy in a variety of ways. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, yeah, I would say, uh, since you brought up gallerists, the weather machine for me was definitely more in the Teletum space of like, okay, there's a weather machine, but nothing I was doing in that game ever made me feel like I was impacting weather or impacting a machine or building a machine or whatever. And I'm not trying to... You didn't I- feel like Professor Latif? <laughs> you know about <laughs> Professor Latif is Vital backwards. Um, what? By the way, no, I didn't. I, I'm not here just to take like. How a random, could you not know that trade? I'm not here to make a random sideswipe at at Weather Machine, but I, it is a game that is current. I, that is out right now that people are talking about, and um, you know, to me, I, I feel like that's another example of a situation. But I feel like in Teletum, I didn't mind that we were okay. We're just set in this sort of generic medieval space, and what I'm doing does not feel connected to it. But I think in Weather Machine, I did care more. You know, because I felt like in Weather Machine, there was so much going on that I, I just felt like I was just moving stuff around. Well, if I could jump on that for yes. just a brief moment, because Teleta made me think of, oh, this is recognizably a signature game from the Italian designers. They're doing the same thing. They are always doing, they're, they're letting me scratch that itch, and I love them for it. But 
I'm thinking, oh, but they're not being original. They're not trying hard enough. But then I thought of Italo Serta, who has drifted away, mm-hmm. in my opinion, from Kanban, from uh, 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 the gallerist into games that are much more abstruse and maybe abstract. Mm-hmm. And another ab something that I can't think well, of. Well, right on now. Mars was on Mars is very thematic and felt and feels like it feels like you're building something on yeah, to Mars. To me, like Weather Machine feels like a digression. Like he generally tends to be on pretty on theme yeah. with on, on like the last two have been on Mars and what Escape Plan. I think so. Yeah. Right. Which are or technically there was the Mercado de Lisboa. Right. De right. Lisboa. Right. Which but I didn't play, but uh, I actually would like to play that. But uh, by the way, I just want to say that there have been a lot of people who've been really into weather machine who've really felt they've felt that theme come through really strongly. So maybe we're just like, or I'm just like the guy at S and day walking by saying the theme is pasted on. Maybe that, maybe I'm that person here. Maybe, but I would say that I have a similar reaction where to me that you play, did you play weather machine yet? No, not at all. I'm just saying like, I'm so less interested than his other titles because that theme feels so, um, unreal. Just not grounded, just, just yeah, completely. That's a, a, like a steampunky make up, I guess, or something. So I think it that, feels it yeah. feels the way I feel about Trismegistus. Like right. some, there may be some really interesting underlying mechanisms there, but the theme is not exciting. But I am going to play Weather Machine again. I've decided I am going to play it again because um, I want to know if it was just sort of like a one-off, a weird one-off thing where it just didn't click. And maybe the second time it's like, oh my God, everything is great here. But I mean, I think the fact that all four of us at the table were kind of met on it i think that that was pretty um i don't know i you know i don't think it was just like a me thing and who cares if it was just a me thing i am me and if that's how i react to something that's how i'm gonna react you know but basically i want lacerda to make more of the same (laughs) so i'm completely inconsistent uh because um the Italian designers, I want them to push the envelope. Lacerda, I want to stay in the envelope. No, I want Lacerda to push the envelope, but I want, you know, like, you got to, I don't want him to tear open the envelope, okay? I don't want him to, like, shred the whole thing and, you know, like, still be, like, you know, I want, I think with Toledum, I know we're, we've now gone way off course here from Lacrimosa, but, like, I know with Toledum, you know, that it does, it feels very disconnected from any sort of theme. It is just like a, a series of mechanisms that that you're you're weaving together and using, but they're like really <laughs> fun. It still kind of works, right? and it works. And it's so fun because that puzzle is is like deeply fun to me. And I think that for me with Weather Machine, since it was disconnected from any sort of theme, uh, I was just left also similarly with Teletum with like a pile of mechanics. And um, when they all came together, I didn't find what the mechanics were doing to be com- particularly compelling. You know, I didn't think that that puzzle was that very fascinating. Um, but that's why I want to play it again, because maybe right. there will be a... a Whereas some... you look at On Mars, which is still pretty pretty recent, like the most innovative thing is the whole like traveling, what, from orbit to the surface and back and... There was that, type yeah. of thing. And like, that was the hardest thing for me to understand, but it's also like what makes that game unique. And when you think about like when I think about Kanban and and like the fantastic way that that simulates a whole production process yeah. of Japanese car auto you know automotive manufacturer, like his themes are strong. Yes. So I think if you're saying please stay in the envelope, it's just hey you know you've you've done these themes and implemented them so well in the past. Uh, Weather Machine feels like a cheat. Yeah, and I um, and I also continue to be bothered by the fact that the game is called Weather Machine, and I feel like 
weather has a very minimal <laughs> perfunctory presence in the game uh-huh. like it's really about machine like it's like there's two giant abstract machines that you're building and you know you're affecting weather and like when weather changes like some like tokens are affected like you don't feel like mm-hmm. oh no we're now a wash and rain or oh no the fog has come in and what do we do with the fog you're not thinking like weather's getting worse oh no weather's getting worse you're just sort of like oh th- the uh this rains it's raining and so we have to add like a gear to this or something <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but again i'm gonna play it again i'm gonna play it again because i have actually now few times on this podcast been a little down on this game and i think it deserves like i think i, I think i owe it to the listeners and to myself and to Mitchell that seems himself. like a theme for us to discuss on an episode sometimes it's like what do you owe a game uh yeah that's Cause, a great cause, idea because matt and great. i were discussing that this week as far as you know like how quickly can you actually give up on something like, yeah what do you what do you owe a game before you like your opinion is legitimate about it like how how many how many plays yeah i mean i think that's something that like we have to think about with like a lot of entertainment right Mm -hmm. uh like how many times people say oh if you watch this tv show it's so good and you're like i watched the first two episodes it's like me with ted lasso i was like i watched two or three episodes and i was like this is yeah yes Uh uh-huh yeah dimitri (laughs) yeah are you okay as long as you're not talking about andor uh, I haven't seen Andor. Um, but like I was watching Ted Lasso and I was like, this would be great if it were funny, but it's not funny. And um, I think it's annoying. <laughs> and then everyone's has a Dimitri reaction. And that's like the people are like, well, you got to hold it. It gets so funny. It gets so good. It's so cute. It's gets, it's just it feels nice. And um, it's warm and fuzzy. See, like our that. email once again is contact at gamebrainpod. <laughs> I have no problem with like a TV hot take. Like that's literally, my, but 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 the point is that you know. So how many TV shows have people have have you given a try to, and then people say, and say oh, but sure, like no, in the eighth episode, and you're like that's eight hours in. Like how much time do I have to give before I start getting the rewards? And so, uh, good, good point. Good point. Uh, now let's climb up the rungs a little bit out of the nesting dolls that we penetrated <laughs> down the rabbit hole. Uh, and let, let's see, Toletum, Lacrimosa, Jennifer's S and Day. Well, there was a there was a thread, Dimitri, in terms of what do we owe a game? Because Matt and I were discussing Deal with the Devil, and I think the problem was is like uh, that was the second game I played at Jennifer's S and Day, and. Mm-hmm. We- tried to play it twice and I broke it as a new player both times so that we did not even get halfway through the game twice. And so the question was kind of coming up of like, what do I owe this game? So wait, tell us a little bit about what deal with the devil is and how you broke it. So deal with the devil is a medium to heavyweight Euro that has a hidden trader aspect in that this is a game that's kind of set, I would say, in like medieval Europe, in which there are four players. This game is only played with four players. And two of the players are like human mortals mm-hmm. with their souls intact. We have a cultist who has most of their soul intact. And then one player is the devil. Oh. And no and this is that there's a hidden Nobody knows the rules. This is dealt out at the beginning, but then you kind of play almost like a full Euro game in which we're building buildings and other things. But the unique thing about this game is the trading mechanism, which involves a a kind of a, a, almost like a cardboard chest with a kind of slide out 
uh, top. So okay. everything you put inside the chest is secret and other people can't see. And each of these chests looks identical. So like your role is actually indicated on the inside of the chest. And all of these chests are just turned in and then they're, they're distributed by an app that reads the QR code off of the chest so mm. that your role is maintained even though like me as the cultist or whatever, I can put, I can make these deals that I'm offering to other players during trading. It's a big part of the game every round. And then like whatever deal, it gets back to me at the end and my identity is not revealed. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff about like, you know, suspecting somebody of being a devil and you have to show a certain amount of soul. And then uh -huh. there's a, kind of like there's a witch hunt and then all of this. I mean, it's like game night at, on Friday nights. Yeah, abs absolutely. So anyway, it had, <laughs> witch it hunts had, and showing your soul. <laughs> it had a lot of stuff going on that was really, really interesting, especially this kind of trading mechanism by app that was also tracking roles. Like that felt, yeah. that's felt really innovative, but it also put you in a position as a new player of you're trying to learn the game. There's a lot. There's a lot of mechanisms there. And the problem problem is, is just by like asking questions about like, wait, how did how does this work? What wait, what are we doing here? Mm. You reveal yourself. You reveal yourself pretty much immediately. And and that it was it puts you in a position where you're just playing poorly or wrong. And I ended up breaking it twice, which made me feel dumb. Bre breaking it not because you broke a strategy. You broke it because you asked a question that revealed yourself. Yeah, just made things quite plain. It's, it's <laughs> you know, if if we were playing Avalon and, said, and somebody said, wait, what does... Merlin do? Yeah, what you like, what, or what, yeah, what, you know... What's the thing that makes Mordred special again? You know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that type of thing. And, but at least with... And this got me thinking a lot about, like, what's the proper space for certain mechanisms and i think things you know i have some strong feelings about that but i i tend to really like hidden trader games but i also like my hidden trader games to be short right so that if you like how often you have we played avalon and like we have that first five minutes where like it can break in that moment and you just restart and it's no yeah big it's deal. not a problem then because it's the first five so minutes. deal with the devil is like a full-fledged euro game like a two and a half hour thing so like I guess I didn't, At any moment I didn't it could, get that it could far, break. but it did, but it like, I played it enough where like, I didn't want to play, like we were considering starting a third time and I was feeling like I can't do this to my fellow players Right. another time. Like I've, I've ruined their, I felt like I was ruining their experience. So I wanted no part of it. And so then Matt and I had a question, a discussion a little bit about, cause I think he was a little more intrigued by the game in his he, place. He also had a broken game, but then I think they had one that where they got, Further, but I think for him, that was like, no, that's one I got to give a lot more plays to. And so it's that kind of question of like, hey, the game doesn't really sing until you have four players who have all played it eight times. Yeah. like, And to me, like, that's too much. That's too much of an, that's too much of an ask. Like, maybe this will prove to be so great. But for me, I'm, I, it, it feels to me like I don't need to go there right. and experience this again. And is that unfair that I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm I'm done. I, I don't think, need to do this again. I think it's. I actually don't think it's unfair. I think everyone is a, like should be allowed to spend their time mm -hmm. uh, and energy how they want to. So if if you watch a show and or play a game, and after two plays, you're like, it's just, I just, I know yeah. I could enjoy this more, but there's other things I'd rather do. I think that's fine. I think it's like a little bit more careless to say, um, I played this two times. I didn't really connect with it because it's a shitty game. And then you're like, okay, well now you're damning a game because you didn't connect with it, but it actually may be a perfectly fine game. 
So I think that's a like a little also worse between us as players and us as podcasters who are have a little bit of a platform pontificating, and we have a, pl- a platform. Yeah, and like I'm not telling people don't go out and play it. I think it's real. I think people should check this game out. I think right. there's really interesting things there. I just also found it maddening, and it also just kind of like consolidated some of my thoughts about hidden trader games. And Ben, you may appreciate this. Like as much as we lo- love Avalon. I think it's actually like too long. Like most, like most of the games we play, like it would be better if it were a little short. Well, we also we make play it long. We, we make, make it long. It, we, we make it long with our meta. Although by long, we're talking about half an hour to forty-five minutes. But not, there's a not, reason. Like I used to love Battlestar Galactica, and I still still think that Battlestar Galactica is a great game. I agree. I but I don't really want to play it anymore. Mm. Like I would, all of the, the good things that are from that game, I would rather just get from Avalon mm. in forty-five. The last time we played it was at Matt's birthday uh, a couple of years ago, and we had a terrific time. But yes, it, it's three I've, hours. I've actually never played it, but my my choice from that genre is Dead of Winter, which I have not played in a few years. But that was Dead of Winter for me for a long time was like a top five game, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Yeah, yeah. And I actually think I'm that's actually, the zombie game, right? It's zombie. It's actually. I actually think it's an excellent game and I've been really hankering to return to it because that's one where I feel like the narratives that come out of it are so deeply entertaining Often. and funny. Sometimes the cards every bonk. single But yeah. I, I'm with you where like it's such an interesting journey that you get to the end and like whether you won or lost is really just Yeah, because people because people will be like, "Oh, well, but it, like as a game it's like not that." I'm like, "Who cares?" Who like that's a that's an example where I say <laughs> The mechanics, like okay, so the only character I have left is a dog. I'm yeah, a dog now. I think, like I, I don't remember if I told this story on the podcast or not, but like I, the fact that I even remember this story, I think, is it shows the shape sure. of the game. That uh, I remember playing once, and uh, someone was the principal of the school. Someone was a student because in the game in Dead of Winter, zombie apocalypse, yada yada yada. Everyone controls these these characters, and uh, so someone had a principal. Someone had the student. And the one of the conceits in Dead of Winter is that there are these sort of cards that that you pull before everyone's turn, and like if there's a certain scenario that 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 is right, like oh, your so and so is in this location, and so and so is in that location, then this card will trigger, and it usually triggers sort sort of like a narrative experience. And I remember one time, the so uh, the principal was in the school, and the student was in the school, and the card, the triggered card, said something like. If there are two characters in the same location, read this card. So, oh, well, the student and the principal are in the same location. And the card was basically about, like, these two people having an illicit love affair. And and we were dying that, like, in the middle of our zombie apocalypse, there was this very, very illicit and wrong, inappropriate (laughs) love affair happening between the principal and the student. And we were cracking up. I mean, obviously... Like, you know, I think we said the student was 18. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, but it was a high a school person. senior. Yeah. But um, but like how amazing if a game can can create a, like a moment like that and then stick with you for years afterwards. I thought they were going to do a whole series based upon that, like Crossroads. I think they mechanism. did a second one. They did another one they in did space do another one, that was I- apparently not very good. But I agree because I would have liked to have seen that. I, I would have guessed that polished. we would have seen more of those. But regardless, anyway. like hidden role that I mean, I guess getting back to the idea of like, what do we owe a game? And like um, when you have a game that has like a kind of a fragile game state where like one wrong error could actually ruin the whole uh, 
like the whole gimmick of the game. I think it, advocates of, uh, of people that really enjoy the game, and I think there are some, would say it doesn't really matter that much that like that discovering who people are is part of. It's not a, a all the way to the end type of thing. It does happen through the course of gameplay, so that's not actually it doesn't actually break the game. But mm-hmm. I don't know it well enough. Well, uh, and actually, just to go back to Dead of Winter, I mean, the, one of the strengths of Dead of Winter is that when if you do get found out as the bad guy, because sometimes it's just as like very obvious bad guy or bad gal, um, then the game the game can still thrive. It actually will enter a new sort of uh, narrative phase. Flow, phase where now everyone's like, oh no, that person, and they like they they unmask themselves. They become very evil all of a sudden, and it's like hilarious and great. Whereas it sounds like with dealing with the devil, if you reveal yourself as the devil, does the does the game still make it like? Can you then play as the devil as like, well, you found me out. I'm the devil, but you still have to deal with me. And then the game has like a different tone in a way that's Battlestar Galactica is excellent at that. Because if you get found out as a Cylon, you do have a role to play. and, and it, you, it Yeah, you unzip. Fun. Now, but, but, but the question is just like, I think we found that like once that happens, a lot of the tension in the game goes away it's a new phase but it's not as interesting as as the previous phase that was my that would be my take on it you don't have Mm -hmm. it's not like you're out and you like that's the problem with like you play werewolf like you're dead right you know and you're not allowed to talk um but whereas as a cylon you've been found out you you continue to play the game and can participate in the narrative and so that's a lot better yeah um so what else did you play at s and day uh we Uh, should mention blood in the clock tower oh and that's it Go ahead. It has been mentioned. It has been acknowledged. Well, that's actually. Well, by the way, that's another example of of a game of like what do you owe a game because this is Blood on the Clock Tower is yeah. a game that has been, you know, like shut up and shut <laughs> shut up and sit down. <laughs> yes, uh, they, they do. Shut, they shut up, up and, and yes, sit they down. do. Shut up and sit down. They obviously and and no pun included. I think they do sit down. There were several. When they- <laughs> Well, one hopes, but they love they love 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 loved Blood on the Clock Tower, which I think is awesome. You know, I I, I played it twice. I enjoyed it. I um, like I would play it again, but I also felt like the game was to me felt a little convoluted and long for an experience that I could sort of replicate playing Secret Hitler, for example. Um, but then there'd be people who say, no, 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 but if you play it, you could actually start getting the subtleties and this and that. And I 100% believe that and respect it. But the question is, like, do I want to devote an entire night to this right. experience or not? And so it is it is a little bit of a conundrum for me. Yeah, I've played the, it I twice. Yeah. Uh, that question has not been answered for me. Yet it has been answered for me. I I'm pretty sure I'm never going to play Blood. Wow, Blood Clock Tower. Okay, I've had two really negative experiences that made me angry at the at the game design. Itself. Oh, so, okay. So well, uh, either way, the, the point is that you know we all have like you know, but then there's people. Jesse loves it. Jesse loves it, and so that's an example of like. You know, he clicked with it right away. Uh, Matt clicked with it right away. Uh, Matt, Matt really liked one loves it too. Uh-huh. In, in fact, and, and Paul really liked uh, LARPing his. Uh, he had a mustache character. on. Well, yeah. So it, yeah, it just gets back to this idea of like, what do we owe? Especially a game that that can you know kind of fall apart if it's if it doesn't if not everything is done properly. You know. Anyway, so what else did you play? That was it. That was it. That was it for me. Games. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dimitri, anything you played recently that you've that's yeah, I played a Tiwa. 
Uh, yes, uh, El- Elder uh, did a beautiful teach. Uh, David uh, was the third uh, in our play. Uh, uh, Elder said something about the game that I think is absolutely true, and, and, and I hope he doesn't mind uh, that I repeat it, uh, that, that it, it's not a, a, a resource management as much as a resource balancing mm. game. Uh, and, He'll be and, so offended that you said that, Dimitri. I can't believe you repeated that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope uh, Elder dis- forgives me. What is me. the distinction uh, between and, balance and, it's a, and management? It, 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 it's a Rosenberg. It's an Uri Rosenberg game. It, it's lighter than Agricola. It, yes. It can be played in 90 minutes to a couple of hours. Uh, it, it, it has a, a fairly straightforward teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it's a worker placement game. But basically, you get out trees, you get out fruit, uh, you get out families. When you say get out, meaning that you have a personal supply and it sort of exists on a board like... That's terif- right. Terif- and you lift them up Mystica. and there are bonuses on, on the places. Yeah, and you move them uh, onto your board. And, your and then you can return trees uh, in exchange for more living space so you can uh, put more of your fa- house more of your families. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of a pump. It's kind of like an engine where trees go out, trees go in, mm-hmm. your families make gold, bats fertilize the trees, um, uh, and, and actually they don't fertilize the trees. They eat the fruit and, and spread, shit out the seeds, so more trees. Well, their guano is fertilizing the seeds that they, that, that, they that, that, everywhere. That's true. That's true. I, I was thinking like fertilize in terms of pollen like bees. Yeah, yeah, but, no, but, no, no, yeah. You're absolutely right that that's how it works. Uh, and uh, David won the game mm-hmm. uh, the same way that he, he won uh, the uh, the play of Teletum, uh, uh, one of my plays of Teletum, by saying, like, I just look and I see what earns you points and I do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which it's I funny don't. how that works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't do that. Sounds I like try he's to do... bat shit crazy. Yeah, uh, but but it, 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 it. I mean, it's a fun what? game. But I'm just not gonna laugh at my pun. And was this like Ted Lasso over here? What's going on? <laughs> Thank you. Bat shit. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, but uh, you can... you're shaming <laughs> us for not laughing at your joke, Ben. Wow, it's <laughs> uh, a new low. <laughs> but but I I, I found myself uh, instead of making points. Being overrun with bats. And there are yes. bats everywhere on my board. Mm-hmm. And, and they were happily eating fruit, yes. and happily uh, pooping out guano and, and everything. But of course, bats don't earn you points. Right. Of course. So I did not, of course, <laughs> why would they? You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, uh, well, it's interesting because the thing that really makes you a lot of points in that game is land, like having villages. And room for it's basically people. People, right? yeah, and I forget people. Put people first. Put people people first. are important. But but that's actually I think kind of in a way. There's uh, I I I feel like it's probably intentional. There's I'm not gonna say it's a satirical edge, but like it's kind of making a statement that um it's like people like if we just only care about the environment, like 
those people will get left behind. Like you're not going to win at life. And I'm not saying I endorse that, but I think it's a, it's sort of a cynical statement that it's ultimately the people who, uh, who, who deforest the land and so, take so, over <laughs> that excel in life. You know, I, it's like I, a kind I, of a sad I, statement about, uh, side you know, of Rosenberg that I <laughs> we haven't heard. I don't, wow. I need to play this then to see. <laughs> Maybe because that's my interpretation. His games have been pretty key on like place and, 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 you know, respecting places in a lot of his games. No, he is. No, this game is all about respect. I'm just saying, like, there seems to be the, sort of the, the the takeaway message is that you want to treat this this land with reverence. Dimitri wanted and, to play the batshit game. Yes, and, and he treated the land like, with no. He treated the land people. with ultimate reverence, and he then he lost. Uh, well, I had all the trees out. I I I had a ton of guado. <laughs> <laughs> the game is called Atiwa, which I assume. Uh, is Senegalese for bat? Ghana. It's Ghana. Oh, oh it's in Ghana. Yeah. Uh, Ghana. No, no, no. Atiwa is not. It does not. So Atiwa is not. I don't know if it means bat, but it's there's a rainforest north of the capital, and oh, thank that's you so called much. Atiwa. So it's actually that's actually the name of a location. Ghanaian rainforest. Yeah. There you go. So the game taught me a lesson, and it made me laugh, uh, and I I recommend it. Um, and, and again, it, it was interesting that Elder said this really interesting thing, that David said this really interesting thing that should be obvious. Uh, so it was not just uh, the game provided an occasion for great interaction and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and learning and fun. It's like a it's like a really lovely game. Like I, I've only played it once, but I, I'm really excited to play it more. Not because it's not like a it's not a stressful game. Like yeah. there's it's like there, there are moments where you're like, oh shoot, someone took that spot. But there's just something just very delightful about it. You know, it's sort of it's sometimes we forget that that gaming can <laughs> just be a lovely experience. Like gaming does not have to be about stressing ourselves out and doesn't have to be about tense decisions gaming can also be about doing something that's just like nice but this not just about managing involved. highways yeah <laughs> yeah cool. managing german highways it can be yeah yeah but there's be, still skill involved in it there is it, it, it is not a some, serious like, game it yes. is you know but it's a delight but it's a delight also and you have not played it yet Trey, right no i haven't so we'll have to definitely play that very soon um i we haven't yes. talked about any of your games okay well the games I've played, I've only played, uh, well, so I've, I've been traveling a lot the past few weeks. Right. First of all, I have to say something that did, speaking about delight, something that really um, amused, not amused me, but like made me happy. Uh, I went to Miami for the very first time, uh, like about a week, two weeks ago. Week, I don't know. I don't know. A week, it was, it a, was week a week ago. Oh, my God. But um, I went there for some of my friends. We did a little group trip to Art Basel, which I'd never been to. I've never been to Miami, never been to Art Basel. What is Art Basel? Art Basel is like this enormous art fair that happens in Miami. And um, I thought it was just like a big art fair. Like they would take over, you know, I guess the convention center. But it's like on the level of South by Southwest. It is actually enormous and insane. And there's like just so much stuff happening. Did not realize that. But... As I was going to like, we we did a lot of partying and all these like trendy hotels in Miami Beach, you know, it's just like the movies, guys, it was just like the movies. <laughs> I really was like, I became that tourist. I was like, oh my God, this is like what I saw in Grand Theft Auto, Vice City. So um, went into one trendy hotel, very trendy lobby, like sort of like neon schemes and music and it was all just like, it was like just so chic and so 
like I just was like, wow, I'm not someone who who just stays in my house. I'm a trendy person right now. And right there in the lobby, as part of the decor, you know, they have like, you know, trendy books, like coffee table books, like photography, fashion, <laughs> art, fashion. And right there was a copy of Wavelength right there in the lobby. Oh, my <laughs> and, favorite coffee game. <laughs> and that made me really happy because, A, it's a great game. And I think it's really cool that this, I think it was the the Freehand Hotel just had it right there in the lobby because it's. I think it's so cool that people could come to that hotel and like see that game and open it up and be like, oh, what a cool game, you know? But um, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe one of the reasons why that game was there is because the box is actually a beautiful box. It's like mm-hmm. a very artistic box, right? Like sort of an abstract, abstract shapes and colors. And uh, I thought like, you know, it, it was very cool that, you know, in my mind, I'm theorizing that someone was viewing that board game as actually kind of like a little piece of art, like a piece of decor that could match a trendy hotel lobby. I thought that was I'm so cool. I'm going to say something about that game's art a little bit later. Oh. Uh, uh, if we get to talk about the New York Times yeah, list. Yeah, well, I think we'll get to it. Uh, but I also want to say that Wavelength has been, I've seen it on displays uh, at Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. So it's really penetrating what feels to me I mean, sure, bookstores are not, you know, Taylor Swift tickets, but right. but it it, it, <laughs> it it is like slightly penetrating the larger culture. Yeah. So that, I don't know. That just like made me happy. Um, in terms of games I've played, um, I just wrapped up a playthrough of eighteen twenty two PNW Pacific Northwest. Um, which is designed by a friend of the podcast, Ken Kuhn, who, uh, who also works at GMT and, um, uh, played that online with two of my friends and we had a super fun time playing it. Really, really interesting variation on the 1822 system. So if that's something that people listening, um, are into, I for sure say go, go try that out. That game, 1822 PNW was on Kickstarter earlier this year and it's going to be coming out. I don't know when, but hopefully soon. But it was really fun to play it and um, really enjoyed that. How long was your play of it? You know, it, uh, since it was online, it was mainly async. It was, it oh. took like, I don't know, it may have taken like a week or two. Um, but we, at, at a certain point, we kind of like stopped and like, like devoted three hours to be on Zoom and like take our turns. And then we enjoyed it so much. We actually started up a new game yesterday. And then the three of us gathered together with our laptops at my, at my friend's house <laughs> and good. we took turns and it was actually so fun because we were just sitting there on laptops taking our turns and also like surfing the web and talking about someday recipes. you'll have a physical copy but <laughs> someday i will but anyway that was a really really fun version um played a game with jordan friend of the podcast jordan friend. uh friend friend jordan. friend of the podcast friend jordan's lovely and uh we played a game that he was really excited about called Tindaya, um, which again I would bring up the information about it, but I think that Board Game Geek is still down. Sorry, everyone. So sorry, designer of Tindaya. But maybe <laughs> maybe it's for the best because um this was a game that I think it was a may have been a nominee for the Zenobia Award. I believe the Zenobia Award right. is all about um I think it's about finding uh like people of people of color or indigenous people, game designers, you know, am I right, Trey, about that? Uh, you're familiar with the Zenobia awards awards are? That's right. I don't want to mischaracterize. 
Um, I think that's right. Where the designers, they're generally not published designers, mm-hmm. but no. in, in the word exists to kind of get people into the space and also explore ideas and themes from designers who may have had, you know, who are not the bulk of the industry, right? To give opportunities yeah. there. And then, so, right. There's a number of people who are in the industry that serve as judges on that. And I remember when those awards were given out last year, like all the games looked really interesting. They all looked pretty heavy, actually. Mm-hmm. Like they look kind of, to me, almost like GFT style games yeah. a lot of times, because they're all attempting to deal with really serious subjects. So, yeah. So, um, Tendaya, um, the designer is actually from the Canary Islands, I believe this is what I'm just, I, unfortunately, again, I don't have the, because because BGG is down. Oh, maybe just down on my computer. You have it. I'm so jealous, Trey. Okay, so the designer is Lolo Gonzalez. And um, if I remember correctly from um, what Jordan had told me, uh, the designer is from the Canary Islands, or at least is, has heritage from there. And so the game is all about... Um, it's all about... It's kind of roads and boatsy or wherever you would kind of describe that style of game where you you create at the beginning of the game you put together all these big hexagonal uh things of water this this big like in uh what's the new game that we just backed um i'm blanking on its name we just backed it both of us did the rise and fall Right. So we do some map building in the beginning sim designers archipelago which has the hex you know, right, the hexing. Right, big hexing. So this is the same thing where you have sort of like these big sort of clusters of hexagons that are just all water, and you put them all together, and then you put start put other things on it. You start you just create these islands. You actually create a little archipelago yourself, which is really, really fun. That was actually probably my one of my favorite parts about the game is you actually create your own world, and then it's ba- it's kind of like civ building. You got you got people the designer we were talking about there was christoph bollinger right right yes so this one you're you're you are um you are playing as people of the canary islands and you're making farms and various settlements and uh meanwhile you were under threat from um the um from basically the spanish um <laughs> conquistadors and uh also from certain sort of like the gods the god the canary island gods the god of fire the god of water um so a it was really cool to play a game that was not um adding a patch through an expansion to empower the indigenous people of that land it was nice that like the game started with these are the people of this land and that the bad guys are actually people colonizers coming in right so that was really nice, and I really s- support that. So that sounds a little spirit islandy, except for this is actually set in 15th century, right? And so, but you know, there's the the thing is that it's like a very overstuffed game. Unfortunately, just like a lot, something needed to be edited out. Ah. So I personally don't. I'm not terribly compelled to play it again. Uh, but I know Jordan was really excited to get the game. And if he was like, I really want to give this another try, I, I would do it. Because I, I know how excited Jordan was about getting the game. Um, but one thing that was really cool in the game was that a volcano would go off every round. And when the volcano would go off, it would create land masses around the volcano. <laughs> and sometimes the land masses would connect the islands. Uh-huh. And the thing is that the god, when the gods would do the god, their th- the gods were often just punishing you, you know. Okay. So like when the gods would punish you, if the god punish hit like if the pu- the punishment sphere, if it hit an island, the entire island would be punished. So now as these islands are getting bigger and getting joined together, uh. 
the threats are now impacting more and more people, which was actually really clever. Cool. I really liked that. I just think would love another. When you're still off on your island, you can't be touched. But as soon as you connect, then you're vulnerable. Is that what you're that's kind of what it is? Or like the way the conquistadors would attack? It's like, oh, the conquistadors are going to attack the island that has the most settlements, maybe. And so maybe you're on your own little island and you're safe. And then next thing you know. A volcano goes off and you get attached to the big island and now your settlement that you love is in danger. So some really cool dynamic stuff that plays with your the idea of like a board state. But um, unfortunately, it didn't quite work for me overall as a game, but would love to see kind of another pass at that game or another. Uh, so to bring it back to Lacrimosa, too many notes? Too many notes. <laughs> <laughs> so we need the Requiem. It's the Requiem for a... For a volcano. Yeah, Jordan seems to have a nose for games that are trying stuff that's new. Yes. Right. And and I I, I love that mm-hmm. also. Like I'm I'm glad that we're getting a lot of games where like even if it doesn't completely work, like I, I don't think the cost completely works. But I still think like, oh, I'm so glad the yeah. cost got made and it's exploring this really interesting space. It almost doesn't matter about like whether it's balanced or not. Right. The co- and I think I mentioned on this podcast a few weeks ago that uh, I did get to play the cost in person with Candace mm-hmm. and Jason, uh, uh, our friend. And um, it was the cost definitely came alive a lot more in person. We had only played it on TTS when we reviewed the cost. Uh-huh. And actually in person, it really... It felt uh, it felt a little bit more alive. There's more sort of discussion, more negotiation. Like, well, if you go my route, you can do this. Well, how about you come my route or whatever? There's a little bit more. We're going to talk about give and take. later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that, but the, the cost still has its issues. But I just want to say the cost was much better in person. Um, I mean, I played some other games that I that I but there's there's some. I've been meaning to talk about one game, and it gets bumped from episode to episode to episode to episode to episode. Now's your chance. Is this the? Can I talk about it now? Is it? I, let's see how we're doing with time, because I also don't want to go. Okay, we. Well, I've, I can talk about this real quickly. It's a game I played with Dimitri. In fact, oh. uh, this was. Uh, let's see if this was about two months ago. We played Inhabit the Earth. By Richard Brees. Do you remember that one? That was with the animals. Oh yes, and it was to me it was really weird because there were tracks the various <laughs> species would take through the continents, but then they could hop from one continent to yeah. the other. There were kind of like species paratroopers. <laughs> it was very competitive. Did did Mike really win? Was that no? I think I actually won. I think Joe, Mike's son Joe, looked like he was going to win because he was racing up the tracks. But I did the David Gillison thing, because I saw where the points were. <laughs> yes, yes. I tried to win. And I tried to win. We will call that the, the Gillison effect, maybe yeah. the Gillison approach. Yes. But um, this Inhabit the Earth has been on like my shelf of shame for several years. And um, uh, I was really happy that we finally got to play it. And it was, it was a brain-melting game, I found. I was like, I could not believe how difficult it was and i remember paul i remember paul was like his brain was melting do you remember that paul was like going oh he was doing that thing where he sort of shakes his head sort of slowly he goes huh oh, don't know what to do don't know what to do he's saying yeah, that i remember that i also remember that it was a game with a kind of an unpredictable end it, <laughs> you 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 couldn't tell or you could sort of see the end was coming and you couldn't i couldn't figure out how much i could do and what the most effective things to do would be within that uh, yeah, time frame. It was like it's just like it was basically like a card game. 
you're basically tableau building and you're it's it's you're gaining animal species and multiplying the them makes and it look like it's a children's game. the art is crazy on it um it does look like a children it looks like it's just like a nice little game about animals just like some animals and uh put it in a hotel it, lobby <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> it's a cutthroat game was, uh, about not even so much area control as track control in which case it's kind of like autobahn again yeah. It, 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 it's about advancing. Sort of. It's about delivering the animals. I don't know. I don't. I I feel like that's kind of a stretch, personally. I I I mean, listen. I I will allow you to have feel that way. I just didn't feel that way. I just um. I, I it was like a just a crazy. It was this like multi pronged race, and the, just the card management was so tricky. It was it was it was a total brain burner. So um, I can't. I don't. I I enjoyed it. I don't know if I loved it, but I. But that's one, and maybe that's just because I paid the money for it. Where I kind of want to revisit it and see how it opens up. Like there's some games where like okay, I didn't really get it, and I didn't have like I thought it was fun. It wasn't like amazing, but I can also see how it could become really fun with more plays. You know. I don't know, would you play it again, Dimitri, or was it like a one and done? I would play it again. For me, I, I think I was thinking of it differently. Uh, I thought of it as animal migration. Yes. And I realized what I should think of it about, uh, what I should think of it as uh, animal repopulation. Yeah. If I picture myself as a biologist or an environmentalist it, reintroducing species into the environment, then I can justify in my mind, uh, uh, like, just completely lifting an animal mm-hmm. to a different continent and, and, and hopping and jumping. Uh, and I, I think I, it would make sense to me what yeah. I was doing. It didn't, it definitely did not have like that warm, cuddly feeling of like Ark Nova. We know Ark Nova, you see those cards like, Oh my God, it's a slow worm <laughs> or, <laughs> right. or a panda. And you're so excited to make all these, put all these animals. This was kind of just like, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's like a bugged out zebra. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and and like speaking of Ark Nova, I yes. was surprised to see Ark Nova featured prominently in the, in the New, York New York Times. Times. Yeah. So, Dimitri, you want to talk about New York Times? This this list that came out. Uh, yes, uh, the New York Times published a list of uh, recommended strategy board games. They use that term uh, that uh, featured Ark Nova, featured Brass. Birmingham, I believe, uh-huh. uh, and a lot of games that we like and reviewed on the podcast that we play. Uh, for me, uh, uh, if you want to talk about the games on that list, uh, uh, because I want to talk about something else about that list. Uh, do you want well, to mention? Yeah. Also, so basically, this is the wire cutter column in the New York Times. The wire cutter is it's kind of like their consumer reports section where it's like this is the best air conditioner you can get and uh, or, this or is, flat screen tv it's actually a great column do. like it's so helpful and what they do is they talk about their methodology this is how we tested it this is what we looked at and we talked about these many people it's like very much a sort of like a pseudo-scientific approach to to like we're going to get to the bottom of this guys pseudo being well, yeah meaning that you know it's like the way yeah so they um so they did a wire cutter column on the best strategy board games written by james austin and uh so it's not like a list it's not like oh these are the top 10 whatevers but they no, um, these are the best these well they're the best they're, they are the best but they're games. not it's not in any sort of it's not like they're not ranked 
So they say, so here's, I'll just go over the high level here. So they say a, for a complex game of Woodland War, Root, they say, um, and and they say, um, I'm just going through here. Sometimes they have like alternates, like, oh, if you don't want that, you can play this. An economic masterpiece, Brass Birmingham. Um, they also say a tabletop zoo simulator, Arc Nova. By the way, I'm actually just reading what it says. I'm not, they actually say like, these are the best strategy games for if you want this experience, if you want a, a zoo simulator. Um, a whirlwind tour of strategy gaming's greatest hits, Lost Ruins of Arnak. And they all, let's see, I'm just scrolling. And then they say other good strategy games, Power Grid, Small World, Cryptid. And then they also say, then there's sort of like another sort of smaller sub list of Cascadia, Furnace, Living Forest, Scythe, uh, Terraforming Mars, and Wingspan. I don't have a problem with that list. I have a problem with it being in the wire cutter under the wire cutter heading. Oh, okay. I, I'm glad it's in the New York Times. Uh, but wire cutter, as you said, reviews products uh, mm-hmm. and reviews technology. Now, Jennifer on this podcast has said that games mechanisms are technology and game mechanisms advance. Uh, newer games have technological advances. Uh, so, there is a legitimate way to look at games as technology, as products. But I think we all at this table, and generally everyone at Game Brain, and I think a lot of people who listen to us think that games are also art. Mm-hmm. And Wirecutter is not about art. Right. Uh, and, and reviews of products, for me, are very different from reviews of art. Uh, when you review a product, you want to describe the product, its features, how it's made, how you want to use it. Mm-hmm. When you review art, you want to describe your experience. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm reading a review of a Broadway play or I'm reading a review of a book or an uh, or a symphony or performance uh, or an art exhibit in the New York Times, they're not going to talk to me about paint and canvas priming and and mm-hmm. and the size uh, of uh, uh, of the sculpture. They're going to talk to me about the experience that the critic has. And yeah, uh, and that's not what. And interestingly, the New York Times, when they do their their rankings of like their favorite video games of the year, that's not in the wire cutter. Because I was going to say what's what's interesting with with board games is they do kind of straddle that line between art and like a like a product that you use and that you like you might get as like a gift for someone. And so like I can see why it winds up in the wire cutter, but at the same time, video games you also engage with a video game in the same way. It's a different experience, but you engage with it the same way you do a board game, right? Like it's it's art, but you also are an active participant in it and you're using it. But but the New York Times does put video games in not the not the wire cutter. And actually video games are even more technological, more more like techie in some ways, you could argue, because they're yeah, coded I, I, and I, stuff. I think the categorization uh is uh even though again, Jennifer technology all of that is legitimate gifts. There's a certain tactility. There's a certain 
presentation involved that that's all wirecutter territory it, they're not talking about the aesthetic experience they're not talking mm-hmm. about the journey uh, 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 of the player uh, which is what a, a film critic would talk about or or, or a book or a music yeah. or an art critic would talk about this is the wrong I'm glad it's in the New York Times. It's in the wrong section for me. That's an interesting point. I didn't. I didn't even think about that. I personally was very happy to see this uh, this article because I was happy to see um, the New York Times focusing um, attention on some like really. I'm not going to say like legitimate games because all these games are legitimate, but not going for the usual things that we see in some sort of like almost feels like. I don't even want to say a lazier article because it's not lazy to say, oh, the best game that's out right now is Wingspan. But sometimes I feel like the articles that you find in in mass media focus on what you find to target, uh, which are there's great games to target or great games at Barnes & Noble. But in, but that the New York Times, I felt, went a little deeper into the hobby. and that The I think, selection. I, I think the no fact that brass, that brass is on there, that Root and that Arc Nova are all on there, I think is like very commendable. And I really get excited that 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 those games are getting exposure to you know a larger audience than might just go to BGG, right? What do you think, Trey? You well, listen. We've seen more offensive lists, right? So I don't like the the list doesn't bother me. The title bothers me. Like the mm-hmm. whole, and I also part of me was also just kind of like I don't like. I think your point about criticism resonates with me which is like i don't know what the point of view of this article is they describe their methodology which you described as pseudo methodology so even then it's kind of like divorced because like their methodology was we consulted you know sort you know expert a expert b expert c but like i don't really know who those people are and so like there's no context for these recommendations Mm -hmm. i mean certainly a new york times reader that reads this and says oh i'm gonna go buy brass for my family like that's that's not that helpful probably that's probably not a good recommendation but i love just, that i love that that I could had happen to examine my i had to I'd be in my feelings ben to yes. use your language a little bit of like why this irritated me so much part of it is my hostility to lists in anyway. less generally i think it's, it's lazy um but wait, don't you do a list that oh no wait that's tom sorry <laughs> Go ahead. well hopefully like we we can make some recommendations to people about like Generally, we're saying like, hey, here are new games that just came out that we really like and we want to shine light on them. Mm -hmm. And so like on that level, like hopefully this article is doing some of that. I think it's weird that something like Power Grid is there. I was shocked that Power Grid was suddenly in (laughs) there. Small world. Like this article felt like was this recycled from a a 12-year-old article or something? Well, they did have an article last year. I looked it up because at first I I texted you guys. I was like, this is so exciting because they're talking about strategy games in the New York Times. And then there was an article a year ago and Small World was referenced in that article. I've actually never played Small World, believe it or not. But um, but like I thought it was cool that Power Grid was in there just because it was Power Grid's not a deep cut because it's a super famous game, but it's sort of like a forgotten cut. I in a, in a weird way, I feel like we don't talk about Power Grid anymore. I don't, I don't think people really play it anymore. I mean, yeah, there's so, a lot of math. Yeah, there's a lot of math. There's a lot of math. And by the way, I just want to say something about the math thing because this is always on my mind. Because when you're talking about deal with the devil, how you use a you know, a QR code, there's a QR code and use your phone to, you know, or an app, whatever. And a lot of times when a game uh, integrates technology like that, like, oh, you have to use a QR reader or there's an app that sorts this or that or this, you, you use this app, it's going to tell you what to do. 
people are like, isn't that so cool? And yet the moment you play a game like Power Grid, it's like, guys, you have to bust out your ca- your calculator app. It's like, oh, I can't believe this game. What an offense. Like, this is ridiculous. This game has so much math that you have to use your calculator app. It's like, oh, so suddenly your calculator app is like bad news, but all the other apps are fine. You got to use a QR code. That's my rant. That's my rant about calculated, about, about too much math in a game. <laughs> I think the thing that, um, that did tick me off about the article is just I felt like the New York Times is kind of like throwing a little cookie to our, our hobby. And my reaction is like, no, you're like New York Times, you don't understand that like games are huge. Yeah. Like games are already bigger than the entertainment business, mm-hmm. right? Like, no, that's mostly video games. Board games are still hobby or whatever, but it also kind of like, this feels very late to the party. I don't mind it when they're saying like, hey, games have really come a long way. Here's some games you should check out to kind of like introduce you to the hobby. But then saying best strategy games, I, I feel like I don't, this whole thing just felt a little uninformed. And I, and also kind of like when it comes to like New York Times, which I read, I like, but well, I also like, I just don't care what they have to say about what the best board games are. Well, the, I, the, not the any writer, better than our list. The, I, I, the writer does have, I mean, he's into board games. Like if you go to his Twitter bio, he's like into, into games, et cetera. But what I can imagine that the New York Times is, they probably are not okaying a lot of games, a lot of articles about about uh, board games. I, I love the New York Times. Uh, I, I subscribe. Uh, I, I get most of my book, movies, plays, Recipes. art recommendations from yes. them. I trust them. They're really good. I want them to actually commit to reviewing games. I would love that. Like, that would be not appropriate, the right way right? to do like it. Like if it actually became a regular I think thing. Be, I mean, they used to have a, an, they used to have a, I don't know if they still have a common bridge, you know? I think that, I think that would be. <laughs> we do know their, their readership. Yeah. <laughs> no, they know their readership. But the New York Times can be slow about some of those things. You know, like with podcasts, honestly, it took them a very long time to start covering podcasts, to write oh, about podcasts. Yeah. Like sometimes, I think sometimes when you have a big publication, they they take their time to be like, is this really what it, are we going to put our credibility on this subject? But, you know, maybe in time, because it would be great to have some real, you know, uh, like some real big criticism, real criticism, real you criticism know? about the experience of mm-hmm. engaging with the art that is board games. Uh, again, the, the the way that movies art restaurants even restaurants are not yeah, because like honestly products, yeah. honestly even like we are we are now a part of like the board game content creator community we have a podcast we talk we weigh in etc but like admittedly our whole content creation community it still kind of feels sort of like homemade homespun like it's like friends gathering together to, to make videos doesn't doesn't it does not i think they should do an article about us too well, naturally, naturally. Um, I'm, and I'm saying this not to say that like everything that we all are contributing is worthless. It's like, it's all very valuable criticism, but there is sort of an element of um, like, it's, it's like, it's just, it's, it's the people coming together to provide the content because the, 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 the normal right. sources that we go to aren't bothering, you uh, know, Bach to bring it back to Lacrimosa, Johann Sebastian Bach uh, played the organ in church, but he played the viola in small groups of people who would gather around in coffee houses and just perform like board games. You know, I hope it doesn't take two centuries or two and a half centuries for... 
the well, archives to start reviewing it. Well, we'll see. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe it's just a matter of maybe Dimitri, you should. You should, I mean, you're you're a very erudite person. You could like make a pitch to the New York Times and say, I can write a column. But the for cafe you for you, Dimitri, is Discord. That's where you. Yeah, Discord. That's where if you really want to see the game criticism, follow Dimitri <laughs> on Discord. It's true, and you'll get the full. You'll get the full thing. So yes, my final thought: New York Times, keep your cookie. Oh, I'm no, I'm I I say <laughs> you, thank you, you enjoy. I like the cookie. Like I'm the not going to turn away a cookie. I like the cookie. <laughs> I liked the piece quite a bit, and um, you know, I I feel like it's a step in the right direction. I'm not going to fault the New York Times for maybe they put maybe it should be. Let's let's try to move it more towards the um, arts and entertainment section than Wirecutter. But I think this is like, I think it's a step in the right direction. You know, um, let's how about should we instead of talking about steps in the right directions, let's talk about wheels in the right direction. We're on a road to <laughs> Are we, our review. Should we get this? Should we get this show on the road? Should we? Should we <laughs> life is a highway, Schnell. and I want to ride it all night long. Okay. Our Guys, game this week. Our game. We're talking about Autobahn. Autobahn, we've talked about it before, but now we're really going to like, we're going to go in hard on Autobahn right now today. We're going pedal to the metal. Pedal to the metal. Okay. Um, Dimitri, do you have a vehicle or a highway pun you can offer up right now? This is usually your area of expertise. Yeah. You, you, you know, my wheels are spinning so hard and fast in my brain, I just can't come up with a pun. It's okay. So your brain well, should be on autopilot. I was hoping that you could drive the discussion, but that's okay. Um, anyway, today... Instead, you hit the brakes. Oh. <laughs> um, I really need to take a sip of coffee because I really feel like I'm... I, I actually feel like I should have had like five more puns in the past you, 10 you seconds. You fueling up? <laughs> I'm going to fuel up. This is... Trey's on one today. Trey, like... <laughs> Trey's really ramping up. Egg on ramping up. Okay. <laughs> is that a cold brew? that you're drinking it is a cold brew nice and it's not it's not we're helping my highway puns so um we're talking the autobahn i'd like to apologize for the last 30 seconds of the podcast <laughs> those responsible i'd like to apologize for really everything that's come up to this point so um give, Auto- us, give us the breakdown the break the breakdown um so autobahn <laughs> break <laughs> <laughs> Autobahn is by <laughs> nice cheers for fierce reference. Okay, good. <laughs> Break it down again. Anyway, Autobahn Fabio Lopiano and Nestor Mangone. Mangone? Mangoni? Mangoni? Mangone. 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 Uh, um, you may know, you may remember. <laughs> I'd like to apologize for that pronunciation of the designer's name. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did, did Tom suddenly Say take over <laughs> the trace? Listen, I've been watching. Sorry to crowd into your territory, Tom. I've been watching White Lotus season two. And so I'm like, <laughs> everything's very Sicilian to me right now. So everyone's like, Fabio Piano. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, by the way, White Lotus, that could be a board game, right? No. Uh, yes, who's going to die? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's going to live? Grand like Sicilian Hotel. What about a Dead of Winter reskin as the White Lotus? As long as oh, they all die. I would play we that need, in a, a heartbeat. Count, definitely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, don't worry. There will be no spoilers uh, because we're not going to continue talking about White Lotus. But uh, Fabio Lopiano, Nestor Mangone, and, um, or Mangone. 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 Uh, they are the designers. Fabio Lopiano has designed such hits as Kalimala. And Merv and Ragusa and Nestor, my BGG is down. Trey, do you do you have Nestor's credits? You, well, you'll pull them up while I while I keep talking. 
So we've talked about Autobahn before. It's a new game, came out 2022 this year. Uh, just was kickstarted like in April. Uh, I'm just going to give a high level because like we all know, like you don't really need to hear a full teach because honestly, you'll just zone out anyway. So the game is essentially that we are building the Autobahn in Germany post-World War II. And the game goes from the 40s all the way up to 2020, which is, I don't know, oddly very cool to me that it's like such a current, it has such a current time frame. We're building the Autobahns in Germany. And as we build the Autobahns in Germany, the various cities that are connected to the Autobahn are going to raise in value. And as we build and upgrade these roads, um, our, we have a we have a, this whole, we each have like a staff of people. And as they contribute to the construction, the people are going to get they're going to get positions in the field office. Like, Hey, you did a good job building that road. You're going to get to work out of this desk. You're going to be a, you're going to be a bureaucrat. And then, um, as they are working at that desk, more and more people are coming into the field office because they're also doing a good job. And then you've been in that field office so long that like, you're doing such a good bureaucratic job that you get promoted to corporate. So then you go to the main office and then in the main office, you just are ascending the corporate ladder. And, um, the, the game is basically about, building these roads and getting your people up in the corporate ladder because the corporate ladder is the only way you're going to get points at the end of the game. The Gillison approach. The Gillison approach. And also along the way, while you were doing this, you also uh, can send trucks down. You not only build the Autobahn, you use the Autobahn by sending trucks down the roads to deliver items to various international cities around Europe. And um, you might also uh, build, gas build gas stations because, you know, why not capitalize off of other people? That is kind of really all it is. You're building a network. You're using the network and you are your um, role in the game is you are you're framed kind of like as a company that is going to contribute to this. And we are both cooperating and competing yes. over the contributions to the German Autobahn system over three eras. Post-war, Cold War, and reunification in which that's a great, great way to say in it. which East Germany opens up, and we yeah. in the third act of the game are able to expand into East Germany. Uh, yeah. And dragons, and dragons. There are dragons. Oh wait, no, there aren't dragons. The and, and, <laughs> this is not a Jake. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, you're just trying to get like a, appeal to the to the Jakes of the world. Yes, you need like yes. a dragon. And, and, and the thing is. Uh, I you, fear that what we're saying here sounds dry. Yes. But because it's it sounds not. Dry. And, and the, the miracle of like really good game design is it takes a kind of a technical and boring <laughs> subject makes what about? it really fun to <laughs> How play. How dare you say that this is technical and boring? We are building roads and um, advancing bureaucrats through a system. How, exactly. could say, how could you say? I think that's like very Bureaucracy. colorful. Uh, Urban planning, <laughs> land use management, German bureaucracy. Yeah, not what's not to love? Bureaucracy, but German bureaucracy. Yeah. But it's really fun. Yeah, so yeah, it is it is all these things. And as Trey mentioned, it does have those three eras. You did actually really frame that very well uh, because there's a whole section of the board, aka East Germany, that is completely inaccessible for the first two-thirds of the game. Or I should say really the first two acts of the game because... Mm -hmm. And then the third act, that opens up. And then there is kind of this like sprint to develop East Germany, which as I'm even saying it, is incredibly thematic mm -hmm. uh, about how East Germany has developed since 1990. You know, that there was this like yeah, rush this of game, construction. This game poses an interesting question because I'm sure there was 
an actual historical path that the development of this Autobahn network in Germany took. Mm -hmm. And this kind of backs it up and looks at kind of like the completed version, but says it didn't necessarily have to go in this particular order. Mm -hmm. That's just the way that it did. And so like coming into this game, you might suspect that certain things would go this way or that way. But in fact, based upon like how people actually play the game and what their incentives are, some really organic development takes place because you can't do anything in this game completely by yourself. You need to build off of the work of others, which right. is what immediately made this game more interesting because this kind of like cooperation competition thing push pull that we're in at mm -hmm. every stage of the game feels very rich. It's sort of in that, in that sort of uh, category of games that I feel like, uh, like brass is most famous for being, which is like, like we all are kind of contributing to a general infrastructure on the board. And as one person adds one element, other players try to capitalize off of that. So we're, we're like, if Trey builds a road south of Colm, then all of a sudden Dimitri might be um, incentivized to build a gas station there if there's an ability or might be incentivized to continue building it because there might be a bonus to pick up. So it's like everything you, everything we are doing is that we're all trying to kind of um, build off of each other. We're not just trying to build our it's own little... It's highly likely that the player right in front of you is going to create an opportunity for you. Uh, yes. you, you mentioned uh, Brass. Uh, for me, the two games that this reminds me of most closely is Barrage uh, and, and, yeah. and Panamax. And, and those are both games where there's co-opetition, mm -hmm. where you can block people, but you can also help each other, uh, especially if you focus on the region or you focus on the route. I love Panamax. I love Barrage. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, it's quite possible that uh, when I play this Many more times, it it will enter that that echelon that 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 yeah. that uh, join those three. There, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I'd like to talk about the action selection. You know, because before we, we have get, before we get into like the action selection and like the actual gameplay, I kind of want to take a moment because I feel like we're gonna start. We're gonna probably like talk a lot about the gameplay, and I want to take just a moment to talk about the presentation of this game before we we forget. Um, and. I I personally, one of my major quibbles with this game is that I do wish the presentation had like a second pass. And what I mean is the board is very, very busy. It doesn't bother me too much, but almost every single person who's seen it has been like, what is happening? It's There's a background uh, of like almost like a tiling effect of buildings and kind of urban thing. Uh, Oak, Oak kind of had this issue too. It's like there's too, there's too much information that actually doesn't mean anything and mm -hmm. you have to do a couple of plays in order to like filter yeah. that out. Right? Yeah. I, I find that that's very frustrating. I also, everything I keep saying to people, everything in this game feels about 20% too small, like, or, or needs to be, I'm sorry, 20% larger. It needs to be larger. It needs to be larger. Like the, um, the little meeples that like your little bureaucrats are small. The, you get, there's a lot of little bonus chits in this game wherein you, if you build a road in, in a certain place, you pick up a chit from the board and that's going to be a bonus. So those are really small. And then even smaller than that, maybe like literally half the size of an already small chit 
Now, these little things that you put on a player board when you, because I, I mentioned there's a pickup and deliver. When you yeah. complete a delivery, you get this little thing. It's like really teeny tiny stuff. And then tiles, bonus tiles that little need tiles. to be, you need to know at the glance, you need to be, look at them at a glance and see, oh, the bonus tiles that I need or would like are over there. Can't do that. You have to. Yeah. Like- and you have to put a lot of them onto uh, your board and your, and it's not a, Dual layer board, so things and things and so things are already tiny. And then if, once they start warping just a little bit, once they bow just a little bit, they do that thing. They're prone to spinning if you just barely touch it, and things can go flying off. But if you have wizard sleeves and just yeah, this, this <laughs> yes. is like the first edition of terraforming Mars. Right. I think is the direct comparison. We're like, I think the first time you you played that first edition, I don't think anything was actually like locked down. It didn't have the recessed boards, whatever. Yes. So it was very susceptible to being knocked, and it felt fiddly. And this feels to me even fiddlier than that. This I, is, I think I, it's I, in the same zip code of the first terraforming mars which now feels more like they figured this out in the mm-hmm. revisions right in like the, the the stuff that you can buy now and the way you do it it's always recessed now and it, it needed yes. like we're already, i'm saying like we're already looking forward to the second edition of this game yes right it seems I, like I these are very make, addressable points i, I want to make a distinction here that's important uh, something can be visually busy or something can be visually complex and, and the complexity of this game is spot on it just it's so busy yeah um, that that a lot of that busyness is is not important and gets in the way of enjoying the complexity versus i'm going to bring up to let them for a moment has a a big and empty board it's yes. like why is this board, is huge. board so big like it airs in the other direction, but I actually prefer games to air in the other direction. Yeah. Uh, Jordan yeah. was saying, we, we, we were playing this uh, a few nights ago, and on the drive back, Jordan was saying, like, oh, he's like, I really wish this game had, like, a uh, like a second edition, like an Eagle Griffin pass. Like, give it, like, sort of an Eno tool. Yeah. Clean up the visuals, make everything a little bit bigger. And the other thing is, as we're going to get into this, but a, a major part of the game is the building of roads and upgrading roads. And when you build a road, there's there's like a, it's a process where you not only put a road tile down, or maybe you flip it over if you're upgrading it, but then the city that's attached to may upgrade. So then the cities all have these tokens, which are actually a nice size. <laughs> nice size <laughs> token. Size yes. token. Appropriate size token that says two, or and you can flip it over. And so it goes from a two to a four and maybe to a four to a six. And then you, so you flip these tokens or maybe swap in a new token. And then you have to put one of your meeples in that bureaucratic area on a desk. And when you put it on a desk, which reflects and a, your contribution to the Autobahn, your contribution. And then whoever's uh, on the leftmost part of the desk, they might potentially get bumped up into the corporate ladder. And um, it's really, really, really easy to overlook the, uh, the meeple part. And it's really easy to overlook the flipping of the tokens uh, to indicate the city values. Because they're completely different sections. Uh, yeah. I kind of just I, want some of that to just to be tracked. I, I kind of, right? yeah, I wish there was like a better way. I don't have a solution. It's a really, it's, I hate it'll giving a note without BGG. a solution. Yeah. BG, it'll be wonderful on BGG, on uh, BGA. BGA, But, but um, I would love in like a second edition for some of that to be cleaned up or like maybe we keep the road pieces by the desks so that way when you grab a road piece, you are... Um, cognizant that the oh you got to put a meeple down on the desk. I just want like things to clean up. Oh, and the other thing is um, we 
the trucks. So in this game, when you do the pickup delivery, we all have these little trucks, which are great. And you literally put like a container on the truck and the truck is going to travel around on these yeah, roads. Containers a particular kind of good too. Yeah. yeah. Like a certain kind of good, which is visually it's wonderful, but the trucks are very narrow and they also don't fit on the roads and they exactly, are prone. Right. The trucks, what fall happens, off. the yeah. trucks fall over, the good falls over. Then you go to pick up the good and then you move the road around and then this, and like, it's like, it's like mass chaos all the time. So I just want some wider components. Bigger. All of that is true. I also kind of just look right past all of that. Exactly. Totally fair. Be- because these are frustrations, uh, but the play of the game is rewarding enough so yes. that... I felt like it would not be... I felt like if we did not mention those, they're truly quibbles. But well, actually, some of the stuff with... It can actually affect the gameplay if you're not remembering to put people on desks or upgrading cities. That actually can be very <laughs> impactful. But I felt like if we don't mention that, we are like yeah. there will be people who will be genuinely bothered by that. But not us. I hope. Well, we were bothered by it. We but just, we were not impacted. It makes your first play tougher than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the second. And possibly the third, too. <laughs> but you criticizing you want- the legibility or of symbols of games, like, that's a common... I'm not yeah. dismissing it, but right. this is a problem you have with a lot of games. I, I have that with a lot of games. Uh, and here, yes. it's much more correctable to me uh-huh. because it's not a matter of color. It's it's a matter of literally of size mm-hmm. and actually removing some of the extraneous visual information rather than in a lot of games I feel there's not enough. Right. And actually, and this will, I think, will hopefully segue into what you want to talk about with action selection. Another thing that is just coming back to me right now is that this is a card-driven game, actually. And uh, we start with a sort of... We all have an identical um, hand of cards that we play with, but we can up, we can gain new cards, upgrade cards, and those new cards have, have abilities on them. And the iconography on those cards can be um, misleading. Sometimes it looks like, oh, when you I do this card... You're consulting the rules a lot. Yeah, a lot of times you'll get a card and you think, oh, when I get this card, every time I use this card, I get to build a... Tra- uh, like a, uh, I get to load my my truck. It's like, no, it's that if you use this card to load your truck, you get to do this. It's like, it's not, oh, it's not intuitive and you have to consult the, the glossary and there's no player aids in this game. There's no player aids and there's also no score track. So there's like just some stuff that in a second edition, I just really want them to just clean that up and, and upgrade that a little bit. To- totally agree. Not, not necessarily a score track, but definitely or like a, a tab, a tabulating anything, kind of tr- anything device. to track it. It's it's. We kind did of, need a way to actually track the score at the end. We just kind of all did it on our on our on our calculators. Calculators, but it's still is, it's just there's. I, I like it better when when you do each stage and you see it go on a track and mm-hmm. it helps break down like oh Ben did really did in this particular aspect of you know completed the most contracts or something. Yeah, not that that's so. I just that's want, part of this game. Yeah, I yeah. I agree. Like I do wonder in getting this game out, this just didn't get a chance to bake quite as as much as it should have. But the recipe's really good. They're that's actually great, just. That's more like you. Yeah, it was like a, a. It's more like it got to bake as long as it needed to bake. It's just that when we put it on the plate, like our slice kind of. Uh, fell did off, they broke te- apart. <laughs> did they test play this game with people who were not like really into it? Uh, did they uh, test play it with average people who might say, "Well, this is really small." 
I wonder if there's like an element because this was Kickstarter where if you make things a little bit larger, it becomes more expensive. If you throw in player sure. aids, it becomes more expensive. If you do X, Y, and Z, it becomes more expensive. I don't know. Like at that point, there may be like some logistical elements. Right. But we're, we're talking about like I don't know really... anything about Alley Cat games, but you know, I think they did. I think they did like um, Dice Hospital or I'm something. Just saying like that. this is not Fantasy Flight, you know, yeah. and. I think there's often a big leap between, hey, I've designed this game, I've got a prototype, you get it on Kickstarter, it goes, and then what you actually get back from China when you when it's f- fully done isn't exactly what you right. thought you were going to get. And yeah. I think that that happened here a bit. Uh, my feeling, though, is, is not quite that. My feeling is they actually wanted this because the box is so packed and it's so small that I think this is an example of the game designer listening to people who are saying, I have so many games and they take up so much table space and they take up so much mm-hmm. shelf space. Uh, and, and this is the response. Which, okay, we'll make it smaller. We'll make it compact. We'll make it for the enthusiast who has 200 games. Maybe. And this is the 201st. I do like the box size. Um, I have to say, it makes it makes me very happy. But okay, so we but we all agree that ultimately, though, so annoyances could be a problem for some people, but mainly in the realm of quibbles for us, right? Yeah, we urge you to overcome. Yes. But I just wanted to I just want to address that because I was afraid we we're gonna it's it'll I just didn't want to over like now let's get in let's get into like the real meat and potatoes of it. So Dimitri, talk about the action selection. Uh, so this is uh, one of my favorite action selections. Uh, you, you have cards that are keyed to the, by color to the various highways. And then you play them in slots that actually tell you... On your player what, board. On, your- on the board. That actually tell you what action you're taking. So the action is not on the card. The location is on the card. Uh, and, and you have a limited selection of cards... And you have to cycle them. You gather them up. Uh, you, you you make money when you gather them up. Uh, Concordia but style. It's really interesting that it forces you, because you only have the cards of certain colors, to take actions in different highways, in different spots uh, on, on the map. You can't flog the same... At least in the at least in the beginning of the game, you really can't flog the same highway. And wait, and just to elaborate on what you're saying, to what like what Dimitri is kind of saying is like if you want to take the action to build a gas station, if you play your orange card in the gas station slot, that means that you're building a gas station on the orange autobahn. If you want to load your truck, if you want to take the load truck action, because you can load your truck, and you play the purple card in the load truck slot, that means your truck has to be loaded onto the purple autobahn. So that's how the color coding works with all these actions. Yeah, and, and that's only half of it mm-hmm. because the other half is getting your meeples, getting your German bureaucrats into their offices. And those offices are also coded yes. to the various highways. And there's a game about promoting them that uh, is entirely independent of the the building up the infrastructure, but also connected mm-hmm. to it, uh, it, it in terms of final scoring. So 
having those color-coded cards, each one of them has at least two different impacts. Right. And the thing that's also really cool is that when we talk about playing them to a slot, what happens is you're, you're have, you have a player board and the slots are at the top of the player board. And you sort of put a card and just in like, it's sort of like um, in like uh, Mombasa or Sky Mines when you have like areas at the top of your player board. So that's where you play your cards. And in the beginning of the game, you have limitations as to how many cards you can put on each slot. So if you want to do something like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like, I'm just going to go upgrade, 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 upgrade. You kind of can't at, at first because if you put your upgrade card down in that slot, you're only allowed to have one card there. So per you have cycle, to yeah. per cycle. You have to yeah. wait till you call back all your cards before you can put down, do an upgrade again. So you not only not only can you not flog a certain action because of you're limited by colors, you're also limited by the space. With the exception of basic building roads, you can put three three cards there. But what that means is you are sort of reliant on other people to help you build your routes unless you're going to do like a really... It forces cooperation. To be successful, you you have to cooperate. I, you can resist cooperating, but it's, it's not, not in your interest. And in fact, I, um, I recently saw a review online for this where someone was complaining about how like they thought they thought it was kind of dull because if you're trying to build a route we all get route cards at the beginning of the game where you're incentivized to build a route to link two particular cities yeah and they were like well you just like you have to play your orange card and the next one you have to bring it back and play your orange card then bring it back and play your orange card and bring <laughs> oh, it back no. No, and no, i was no. like oh, oh you didn't get the game <laughs> yeah like you can do that but like no wonder why you had a, a boring time because yeah. you actually played a very anti-social game our last, I'm sorry. Our our last, we, I've played the game twice now, and and Ben, you played, you taught me the the first time I think we played. But when we sat down to play our second game recently with Jordan and Matt. Immediately from the get, we were in negotiations for part for partnerships, right. and it became a very social space in which we're we're trying to work out certain things and it is one of those games where you feel like certain commitments are made i think like you felt like i wasn't meeting my end of the bargain i was and i wasn't you mad know? i knew why you weren't but i was kind of like uh, trey like help me build my route but, but, but <laughs> and, one of the fascinating things was just is like the very first move that one of us did not make ended up changing the route that we took you know, yes. like that was very interesting of like just the very first move that another player made had impacted a major, every single thing for every us move the game that came after it like we may have thought we were going to go a certain direction on the board but as soon as that thing happened it was like actually it's more efficient for us to go through purple and black and then that became like the focus of attention in the, in the and, and that huge partnership effect. that partnership yeah. and negotiation that's a third aspect of this super complicated consequential machinery that's ultimately activated by the card selection, by yeah. the selection system. So the brilliance of it is normally if I hate a game, it's because I feel like there's nothing I can do or or the game is forcing me to do something that I don't want to. Here it's just the opposite. Here I felt that every time I placed a card, mm -hmm. it had at least three ramifications that were interlocking, that were all really interesting and really consequential, uh, that would have effects way past uh, what, what I can yeah. predict. And that the more I thought about it, the more it would reward me. Mm -hmm. it, it's like I'm at the levers of a really interesting, complicated... Yes 
driving machine. And there's another ramification, which I think will probably add on to your, your fourth ramification. We haven't talked about this very much, but, uh, and I do want to go back to what you were saying, Trey, about how like the focus on the board shifts based on how, how people do things. But just in terms of this ramification thing, when you play a card, when you play your card, after you do your action with the card, there is a um, transportation phase. And if you have trucks that are out there on the highways, if you've played a purple card that turn and you have a truck on the purple Autobahn, that truck gets to move. So that's there's a like, layer of the secret. There's a layer. That's really rich. Yeah, yeah. So what's happening is you are doing your action, you're building the stuff, and then you are also potentially activating your pickup and delivery thing. And the pickup and delivery is actually very important because you need there are these bonuses all over. And um, the bonuses, that's the only way you can upgrade your cards. Like it's it's interesting that this sort of has a um uh, like a deck building vibe to it but you can only get you can only upgrade your cards through achieving bonuses there's no actions that let you yeah, go th- to a there market are two implied tech tracks by upgrading the cards and also upgrading the actions mm-hmm. uh, that you have uh which are beautifully integrated yeah so that's just like it's it does add another layer going back to what you were saying trey about how in our play when matt matt was the one he he built this just random road and then that changed our entire perception of how we want to build our routes like there's something actually very richly thematic about that right because like it that is isn't that the way of business like oh well someone's developing that area we should develop there too because people will be going there like let's let's build out that road we were not we were like we were not going to build a redundant line Mm-hmm. Right, like we wanted to build off of that line because it made our distance shorter. Right, so we were incentivized not to to abandon our original plan and to take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, and so the first time that we played together, Trey, the three of us were playing, and I the, in, in the game there's like this central autobahn, this big black central autobahn that's huge, and, and it's already it starts the game. It starts the game. It's, it's actually already like pre built, and um, it's uh, like a it, major. It's pre built by. Someone we won't mention during a dark period of German history should yes. have been demolished, but let's move on. Yes. So, um, so, but it's pre-built, and so it's actually kind of like a major artery in the game. And so, I um, in that game, I remember I built a gas station in a very central location. I was like, because as trucks go by gas stations, everything has to go past this, right? Yeah, because as trucks, as your trucks go by gas stations, because you played a card that matches the color of the autobahn that your truck is on you're going to get a bonus of some form. And so I was like, here it is. Here's all my beautiful bonus. And um, But what happened in that game is then the three of you guys, it was, it was the two of you and Paul, you started build developing south on that Autobahn. And then the, the, the hub of activity in that game was in the south of the board. And everything around that hub got really developed. The orange Autobahn was like super upgraded. Everyone was using it to go back and forth and do all their traveling. And my gas station... And my everything Your I poor, had lonely focused gas on, station. it was every I had, I just was like, well, but this is the black autobahn. Like, of course, people are going to come up here. But it's like, no, you think because I was not paying attention to what the people were doing. I was thinking about my own personal strategy. Right. So anticipating what others' plans are is important so that you can capitalize off, off of it. Yeah, exactly. And not just anticipating, but as you said, Matt did talking about them. Yeah, explicitly. You, I, I believe in that game. You and Paul very explicitly said, we're going to collaborate and we're going to build that orange mm-hmm. highway. Uh, at the beginning of the game, you do get like a bonus for completing a, a randomly distributed uh, uh, kind route. of route. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're, uh, 
they're random the f- the number that come out and then we choose them in reverse turn order so you do have some control over yeah so it, it's a little so. bit it it's a little bit like a, a like a, a little boost of, of getting you going like corporations uh, in terraforming mars yeah it certainly gives you some direction yeah and and and, and so uh the natural synergies among people whose routes kind of overlap uh and it's a little bit of a cheat by the designers, but it's a welcome cheat because yeah. it gets over maybe a little bit of roughness. It gives you some direction too, I yeah. think, which is which much, is good. which is much needed. No pun intended. And yeah. some games don't, and some games don't have right. And and I think like I tend to really like those kind of games that have that kind of soft negotiation. It's not as heavy as like a diplomacy, but those kind of like little alliances you can make and break during the course of the game or, you know, pivot. That's certainly one of the things that's great about Panamax, mm-hmm. right? Where yes. you're, you're constantly like, I can do this on my own, but if I actually, you know, make a deal where it's like, Hey, let's load this and then we can push this stuff through together. Like that's, that's how you win. Yeah. You and, can't and go it alone in, in Panamax. You can't go it alone in, in Audubon. Right. And I like, I just, I really enjoy games where opportunities Everything you do creates all sorts of interesting opportunities for other people and for you to take advantage of. Um, that happens in, in in Panamax. Like you were going to do something, and then someone's boat comes into the port. You realize you can load onto their boat, stuff like that. Like that's always like a very exciting space. And I think this game really lives lives in that space in a way that I I really really enjoy. I have to say also um, one thing that I, I going back to the trucks. I I actually love 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 the trucks in this game Mm -hmm. right that that entire concept because this is a game where we are building an infrastructure but we're also actively using it and like dealing with the the pros and the cons of that infrastructure so like you know with railways of the world which is one of my favorite games or age of steam we are building infrastructure and we use it like we we deliver you know, yeah. we send a cube right. along those rails. We use it. 18xx, obviously, I love that. Like, we build in infrastructure and we use it. But in this game, there's something about actually building these roads and then physical trucks actually appearing on them. Not just like a, we're moving a yeah. cube. Like, trucks are on them. And not only are they on them, the trucks have to get places. And the trucks, it's not just like you say, I, as an action, I'm moving my truck from here to there. It's like the trucks have to travel the road. They get in the way of other trucks. We played with a traffic module that came with the Kickstarter. Which so is great. Yeah, yeah, cars appear when, when cities get really upgraded. Cars appear. And so then traffic gets in the way. And you're actively trying to maneuver through this infrastructure that you're actively also building. And that makes the, the game state for me feel very, very alive and fascinating. Uh, and it makes the board look really cool. It, yeah. It, 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 in some ways... Um, like Age of Steam is a great game, but Age of Steam doesn't have trains; it just has routes. And and mm. there's there's something like abstract about it. And the minute you put a little toy truck, it suddenly goes, "Oh, I get it!" Like, like Rail is, yeah, you Rail can like world, look yeah. at it and and get it without well, especially having because to think deliveries about it. are something in the game which you can kind of don't have to do a lot of. Like how much you commit to delivery is a major game decision it's practically an entire strategy of Mm -hmm. i'm going to get the majority of my points from deliveries yeah in the last game i actually only did i think two deliveries which was crazy i've played both my games have been pretty low on the deliveries but 
I, I suspect, and maybe I'm jumping to the end a little bit here, I think this game's going to be like Great Western Trail, where we're playing it right now and we feel like we, we've seen success with a certain strategy so far that rewarded upgrading roads. Yeah. But we only have a couple plays. Mm-hmm. And when we first played Great Western Trail, we thought there was a dominant strategy. We were wrong. Yeah. And so as I'm looking forward to my future plays of Autobahn, which I f- fully expect, I'm really looking forward to exploring how does a gas station strategy work? Yeah. How does a heavy delivery – and all of these things are going to be a hybrid of the three mm-hmm. anyway. Like it has to be. I think it's going to it, be actually like Concordia in that way mm-hmm. because if you're playing Concordia with people who don't play it very often, like I can probably just – load up on like the Mars cards and um, like Mercurius or whatever. And then Mercators, I yeah. Mercators. Yeah. And then I can probably, I, I can probably do extremely well, maybe even win like that. Cause usually what happens is someone says, I'm going to do all Jupiters or all this or that. And then what happens is as people have caught on my friends, they know that I love going for the <laughs> Mars cards. So they know they, they get, they start taking the Mars cards. So now it has to suddenly I can't just rely on the same old tricks. And I think this game might want to doing that because the scoring is kind of in that space. And I wanted to know, what do you guys think about how the score trade? Do you want to describe a little bit more about how the scoring works in this game? Sure. And how, it, and how it's like connected to how we upgrade our special powers. Cause there is a tech tree. We didn't even really talk about. There's a, there's a, there is a tech tree. And I think going all the way back to, um, Lacrimosa also in that this game has like two parallel boards where the, where the game is fought. Mm-hmm. One is the map yeah. of the Autobahns. And that's probably where you're going to devote most of your attention is like this ever changing map and these interlocking Autobahn routes. Mm-hmm. And that's very important. However, none of that gives you points. All of the points are the workers that you've placed in the boardrooms of the six different Autobahn lines or seven Autobahn lines. And then they get promoted up in order for them to actually like reach the higher level executive suites of yes. Autobahn management, you actually have to have unlocked some text generally. Like there's one track that requires no unlocks, but ultimately to score points, they have to like leave the board route, the lower level management tables yes. and, and get kicked upstairs. All of your points are upstairs. So if you're just sitting in the lobby, your workers were two points at the end of the game. You get some points. You yeah. get something, you get something, but actually promoting them up to the, into the head office in various categories is where you start to like really multiply. And so it might be like, I'm now get this worker is generating three points for every worker that I have back in my boardrooms, or this worker is giving me three points for every gas station that I've built. So you're, you're both specializing in tech and specializing in terms of your scoring, which again is a Concordia thing. There is yes. a con- there is some strong Concordia DNA. There's a more sophisticated, more complex game than Concordia. It's not as elegant mm-hmm. as as Concordia, but that is the space. And so, maybe your first game you weren't so focused on scoring. Yeah, but at the end of that first game, you're you're like, wait, I only got four people into the head office here. I didn't translate my board position into points yeah because to rise up in the corporate ladder you have to get promotions and promotions are bonuses that you get and you get promotions either from making deliveries or you get them from uh your gas stations or you might get them there's actually a track the board state that ultimately matters because other than like the i think like other than the gas stations on the main map like you don't own anything 
mm-hmm. on the map. Like once you've built a road, that's not your road. Right. That's you've contributed to the Autobahn and, and your contribution is reflected in by placing a worker. Gas stations are, are a little bit different. And so your focus does need to be on, on end game scoring. Um, but that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's an area that we need to, like, I think we're just beginning to understand how we even well, wrestle ben, with that. Ben, you blew everyone away yeah. uh, a, a couple of days ago during game night because you had so many workers in the lower offices I had a lot of that didn't get promoted. And then you were able to <laughs> capitalize on that. And I went, whoa. I went, I could not believe it. I basically, I didn't focus on anything else. I got um, in the in the corporate ladder that rewards you for having bureaucrats at those desks. I, I basically maxed that corporate ladder out. And then I had a lot of people in those desks and I got a huge number of points. And then I also supplemented that with another track, with a money track. And so I had a huge amount of success. And there was even a moment where we thought like, is this like not balanced? But I tend to agree with Trey that like, it's not that it's not balanced. It's just in this game, it just worked out that way. I think it's, I think it's it will. It's too soon to it's, say. It's too soon. And we were also playing with two players who hadn't played before. And I think so it, even out. it should have been more competitive. The number of workers that were in we, the, in the boardrooms, probably like yes. you and I were kind of doing the same thing. You just did it better. Well, and the other thing is that like, this also goes to how like the players will really impact how the game is played is that with those route cards, one, not only are you trying to connect a route, but like the better that route is as in, there's gas stations along that route. They're upgraded r- roads. The better it is, the um, the more bonuses you get at the end of an era. Like you'll get promotions, you'll get more money, the better that is. And in the second era, you control how long those eras are. Like the era ends when the collectively last- we do. Collectively. Because there's a certain number of roads that, that are available to be built every era. And then once that last road is built, then we end the era. And Which also makes sense. Yeah. Because that's how long those roads. Right. And we let that second era just go and go and go. Because everyone in the first era, we raced that era. Everyone was like, I need to connect my route. So since everyone was obsessed with connecting their route, that we went right through those roads. And then the second era, then everyone wanted to dote on their route. And so when we, because I think we spent a lot of time that second, that second era, like I was able to really get my get my shit up and running i got people promoted i got everything going and i think if the game had been um a little faster if people had sort of put their like put their pedal to the metal in audubon then i think that maybe i would have been i might not have had such an easy job of doing so with the scoring but it's hard to say but i the point is that it's dynamic and players can't just be thinking about what they're what they're doing personally they have to be thinking about like how can I make sure that that person is not going to be scoring as well as I'm scoring? Uh, 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 when you talked to Trey uh, about deal with the devil, you, you talked about breaking the game because of an experience. Here, this seems to me to be a, a perfect balance of, of how much control the players have um, and, and how the players get to drive the game. Uh the inexperienced players, the two inexperienced players in your play didn't break the game. They just allowed you to win maybe more easily uh, maybe. Than, than you could have. But and this is a really for both challenging and forgiving machine that you get, that you get to operate, not just on your own, but together with players and your mm-hmm. collective decisions kind of govern the direction 
the, the game goes in a really satisfying way. Yeah. I've actually, by the way, I just want to say I played this at all, at two, three, and four players. Okay. I found it to be super fun in all. Oh, great. It, just with two players, it takes longer because this is one of those games, it's like Terraforming Mars, like... You the game is not going to end until you do all the things that needs you. To, you need to build all those roads, and so with two players, you just have to build more per person, and so it can go longer. But I I, I backed this game off of a two player game I played with Candace because I thought the decisions were so rich even then. Like I would build a road, and then she would build a gas station. I'm like, damn it, I wanted that gas station. So like you still get the rich decisions, but I think at four, it's the best player count because you have the most discussion and and also the the boardroom moves around a lot more i do one thing we talked about this lobby where 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 bureaucrats get moved up from a desk to a lobby and then once they're in the lobby they can start moving up the corporate (laughs) Corporate purgatory here yeah but like what happens towards the end of the game is that there's a whole bunch of meeples except for this last game actually i actually had no meeples in the lobby at the end but there's all these meeples that sort of like gather in this lobby and you just have all these pieces and it kind of there's something that feels messy. Slight, a, little a little messy. messy it feels like there should be something where it's like you can spend two people from the lobby and do some sort of action with it so you're sacrificing a scoring opportunity but you can maybe like choose from the card row because it's sort of hard to get cards from the card row and that card row by the way i feel like the, right, card, the row, card row the card row gets a little stagnant sometimes. Like I feel like there should be ways to wipe the card row. Just like little Needs things. Needs to be a little more liquid. A, there, yeah, right? yeah. You know. Uh, Teletum is a more perfect game than this. In, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, it's probably but, a more but polished for game. For me, this is more interesting. I'm willing to overlook the ver- the significant flaws in, in, in graphic design and, and mm-hmm. production and, and, and the slight flaws uh, in the game design because everything else is uh so so interesting uh for me this uh the very different Teletum and carnegie which i think is a game from last year but i played this year mm-hmm. are, are 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 the top games of the year and i, and I think this one will be the most played it, mm-hmm. it has an age of steam kind of quality of the mm-hmm. playability uh, uh, and and i now of course i have to ask trey trey had a trey made a statement on wednesday <laughs> night that got the entire room to gasp trey said tell me if i'm misquoting you you said this kills age of steam for me i think i said replace or replaces which is kind of a term like there's been a bunch of do do certain games replace other games in in the hobby and i like we've played a lot of age of steam so like i'm probably ready for it to be replaced replaced anyway but i think of the things that i like about that kind of shared board in which we're like in in age of steam it's actually kind of like meaner Mm. like this is more cooperative and and your other people are creating opportunities for you as opposed to age of steam which has got some hard blocks right there's some killer yeah. oh you just knocked Vulturing, that you yeah. just ended that player's game type of thing so i i think i would it occupies a similar space but i would definitely would want to play this right now especially if you put these two on the table it's also like this game just came out yeah but i think this is this is the game that i want to to play that's in in this space, so I don't, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that shocking. Yeah, I, I think all three of us uh, are looking forward to our next play of this. Yeah, in, in the way that is rare for, uh, for, for yeah. me at least. It's a super fun game. The thing 
I don't know if I agree with you, Dimitrion, is that you thought this was going to be the most played game. I'm not sure that the success of this game is assured mm-hmm. at all. I I think in our and, group, you mean? Well, I think in our group, it's probably got a pretty good chance, but I don't think that this has nearly the buzz of a lot of it other doesn't. games. And I can think of like a game like Panamax, which our group holds in very high esteem. It's also out of print. Yeah, you know, it's been out of print for a while. Yeah, like it's it's kind of one of those hidden hidden gems. It didn't take off and you know become a a brass of mm-hmm. you know of the of the of the you know catalog of the board game catalog i think there will be people who will will f- feel like this game was fine but not amazing mm-hmm. i don't I, I think it just might not really appeal to them i think it i think that some of the messy qualities are going to undermine it a bit what do you think about us what, what what is it about us that makes us respond do you think trey to 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 this game so much well, I think kind of going back to our early game brain days, we've we've talked about this, which is that I think we do respond to and reward games that bring out the social aspects. And like the less heads down a game can be, like we like the depth, but when a game can actually engender that kind of cooperation, competition, discussion that pushes these games into a more mm-hmm. social space, I think that always that's what really elevates it and makes it a uh, kind of a game brain. And there's some game. like fun and funny moments in this game, actually like in the game on Wednesday, I, once again, I think I built a gas station in the exact same space that I had, that I had the last time. Uh, and when I had issues with people coming to my gas station this time, I built the gas station there and I was, it was legitimately in the busiest part of the board but for whatever reason, there was like this tiny little spur. I think it was maybe the same spur that changed everything. And everyone kept turning off the Autobahn right before my gas station. And I kept on trying to tell people, like, come to my gas station. And I would get like, every time. Because you get a reward every time somebody else. I would get like literally station. one coin. Yeah. And I would just every time someone came by and and like I would get that one coin, I would like throw my hand there like, yes, I got my coin. Like I just was so happy that someone went by my gas station and I had. A generally small effect because money in this game actually is pretty okay. Although I did it's not Age of Steam, it's it's not super tight. It's not super tight. Although I did run out of money at one point, mm-hmm. and it was like that was the point when I needed the, the money the most. So like it can, like it's it's pretty. You're you got your money, but it can out of nowhere. But I would not describe this game as punishing. It's not punishing. The closest thing that was actually punishing was is that a couple of us ended up with trucks on highway lines that we yes. did not take actions on, which is kind of like a quirk and it's been mentioned on on BGG. But it was kind of almost like unintentionally punishing rather than you didn't manage your money well. Yeah, there's this weird thing that you so the black Autobahn, which is the central artery, because it's the central artery, and all all almost every single loading zone is on that black Autobahn that your trucks can very easily wind up ending their movement on the Black Autobahn. And then to move them from the Black Autobahn, you would have to play a Black card. But at a certain point, the Black Autobahn was completely upgraded. There were no actions you could do with your Black card, which meant it was illegal to play your Black card to do anything with the Autobahn, which means your trucks were just stuck yeah. on the busiest. This feels like central. an easy errata. Like right now, it's, it's reading is very punishing and intentional. And I just, I'm not convinced that that's actually something that makes the game better in any way. But it was actually hilarious that you guys had these trucks that were just stuck. Yeah, broke I had a truck. Both Matt and I had a truck broken down <laughs> from the down. central black Autobahn in the middle of Germany, and they were going nowhere. I just want to talk about uh, one other thing, which is um, uh, about the third act, about how 
East Germany opens up. The game really accelerates in a way that's like really fascinating. The cards, all the cards you can choose from become very fancy. They all of a sudden have like great powers on them. And it somehow works out at that part of the game. You you just are able to get cards more easily. I feel like you have more access to books. You've I don't got know. a lot more cash. You've got cash. Things become more expensive. Every era, things become more expensive. But like you get these Good cards. Good games do this, I feel, a lot of times, though, where like they ramp hard at yeah. the end. It's like you think you've got four turns. You actually only have two. And it's just like it is. A, it's like a mad dash. You're trying to get these big last deliveries and everything. And you like... It's good I drama. really, good drama. yeah, I actually feel like it's kind of this amazing, um, the, the game actually really follows the three act structure of like a good movie. Right. And I always love when games have a three act structure. Cause it, and like the beginning we're just making our basic roads act two. It feels like we're doing a lot of upgrading, making everything nice. And this is where that whole, like, I mean, this isn't the pasted on theme. This is a strong theme. And in that third act, we're going to connect to Berlin. Yeah. And that's going to have a huge effect upon the last couple of rounds of the game, too. Yeah, yeah, a- it feels artificial, but that artifice comes from history. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, the, this is what happened. Deal with it. You yeah. know? It's like you get like a whole other good that you have not been able to deliver. You get pharmaceuticals. Like all of a sudden, just the whole, the whole game opens up and there's no time. And to very take importantly, you get to deliver washing machines to Warsaw. Yeah, and, 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 and as someone who lived in Kiev and remember when that when that big tub washing, trust me, those you get to partake in Dimitri's childhood in this. Yes, game. yes, or at least relieve relieve a major uh, aspect of that. It just tub. yeah, it's just great. You see all these trucks suddenly on the road; they're all going to East Germany. There's just like chaos, and it's like a very. I like that the game like actually builds to this the third. And in fact, actually, the first time we played Dimitri. You, me, and Paul played. Uh, Paul, you, you, Paul, and I played, and um, we called it after the second act because it was yes. getting late. But like, it's it's a shame to do that because the third act, it just suddenly the game just goes into this whole other. You were closer than you thought. You're closer, but also the game, it like it does go into overdrive. Like out of like this game that's just like a very sort of thoughtful, interesting, interdependent game where it's you're building. All of a sudden, it's like. What? This incredible speed, and as you know, on the Autobahn, there are no speed there are no limits. speed limits, and it really mm. goes fast at that point. So, is there any? Do you guys have other things that you wanted to? I don't. Yeah, wanna... just in 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 summary for me, like uh, this may be my game of the year, but it, which is a weird thing to say when you're like we're already talking about wanting a second edition mm-hmm. of it to kind of you know smooth off some of some of those edges. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm I'm really looking forward to playing this one again. So this is an unequivocal recommend for me. Yeah. What about you, Dimitri? Uh, Any last thoughts that we didn't get to or anything? I don't want to end it. If you have like a whole <laughs> bunch of things to say. No, no, I, I actually, no, I, I feel uh, th- this is a, this is a definite get uh, for anyone who likes barrage uh, age of steam uh, Panamax, Concordia, Panamax, yeah. Wild uh, uh and even Great Western Trail, uh, and, and even um, oh, I forget the name of the uh, Roman game, the Tribune? perfect game, the the really elegant game, Concordia, even Concordia, uh, and, and it's like flawed, but so interesting and, and so engaging, and, yeah, and, and only lightly so flawed. like the kind of game that I want to play. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's. I, it's. I feel like it's so lightly flawed. It's really superficial things. Yeah, look right. And I think the fact that like all three of us are so enthusiastic despite those flaws, I think says something. I think it's a really fascinating, 
um, overlap of like a really, really cool hand management game a la Concordia, a really cool route building game a la Age of Steam or Railways of the World, and a really cool pick up and deliver of, I don't, I don't have an example, but you know, it's like you have these overlapping systems that actually work together really really well and in a, such a fascinating way and there's like there still feels like there's more that's in this game that we're even talk than we're even talking about that, is deck that we building, can't wait to explore yeah that we, we we didn't we barely even touched on the the tech tree and we touched on how the tech tree integrates with the scoring i think that there's like it's a game that's very rich for um expansions too we can get more like scoring categories maybe um, we very briefly talked about the traffic module. I hope that the traffic module becomes accessible to people who have only the retail version because in that one, the city value, we didn't even talk about city values, why they matter, but city values just basically get you money at the end of the era. And it, it, just lots of your cool contributions stuff. to every line end up being rewarded based upon how successful that line is. Right. Right. How, like how, like as cities grow, people sitting on those bureaucratic desks. So get that's more almost money. like a share game, right? Because like when mm-hmm. we originally were looking like, let's go South. And then we didn't, that meant that our contributions in the white line, which was the lowest line were like, yes, we had to do a few to connect uh, to, you know, our route. It just didn't pay off very well. Yeah, it feels like everything is an impactful decision. Right. Like these, how these are you really meaningful your, trade-offs. Yeah, how you upgrade your 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 deck, you know? Like are you going to maybe scrap a color entirely and that way you can have two of a different color, you know, um do you want to get in on a desk so that way you can get that revenue from a successful line, but if by getting in on a desk, if you put it someone on a desk, you're giving someone a chance to now go up on the corporate ladder and get the points, which is all that matters. It's just really it, it's a lot of deep gc juicy gc a juicy autobahn high so, octane yeah we both all we all love it i mean i think right now it's it's probably my number one game of the year but i haven't played a bunch of other games that's so right. that's, you know it's that's, early I'm in a similar it's, spot it's I'm, early it's a lot of stuff still but it's play great it's a great game yeah. and yeah. i'm looking forward to the mahola doggist review of it in the new york times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i actually really hope this game finds its way to bga because i think a lot of the um mm-hmm. the upkeep that gets in the way and um, and a lot of the iconography that is confusing will all be fixed because the iconography can just hover over with your with your mouse, get the details. So yep. let's hope it goes there. So anyway, I think that's it. I think that's all. I think that's all we have to talk about today. But um, this was. Uh, I'm I'm so glad that we talked about this game. I'm so glad that you guys really liked this game too. I was like, oh, please, I hope everyone likes it. You know. <laughs> anyway, thank you for teaching it. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, anyway. You are listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, Trey Alsup, and Ben Mandelkurt. Th- special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. And thanks to Edomar Peleg for our incredible graphics. Be sure to check him out on Instagram at, at Krubaloni or on his website, Krubaloni.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends and make some friends with games.